Dun 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 Well greetings and salutations everybody Welcome to Gotham Welcome to my YouTube channel My name is John Campia and this is our open spoiler discussion about the Batman We are here to talk about the new movie The Batman which, by the way, the box office numbers just came out. Uh, it, it far exceeded that one Forbes estimate at about uh, $80 million. Instead, it made $128.5 million opening weekend. $128.5 million, uh, becoming the second biggest opening, of course, uh, as people, as they expected it to be behind uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Of course, nobody thought it would come as close to that. My initial guess was 150. Uh, I obviously over, I over, obviously overestimated. That's why I said in the show the other day. I think I'm probably wrong about that 150 mark. But 128.5 million dollar opening weekend for the Batman, which is amazing. We will be talking about that opening. Uh, and some people in the live chat are very confused. They're saying, but wait, that didn't count Sunday. Yes, that does count Sunday. But how does it count Sunday? It's still just Sunday now. Because when they put out their box office report on Sunday mornings, early afternoon Sunday mornings, that includes they take the, the amount it made on the Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, and they're able to very accurately predict what the Sunday numbers will be. And that's why the box office numbers that come out on Sunday do include Sunday. Now, tomorrow on Monday, they'll adjust it for what are called the actuals, and that'll go up like half a million dollars down, half a million dollars, one million dollars, maybe not at all. But yes, just so you guys know, when they put out the box office numbers on Sundays, those do include Sundays, even though Sunday is still happening. It's just that it includes their estimate of what Sunday is going to be, and it's 99% of the time within about a million dollars. So those predictions are actually pretty good. So, And that's just domestic. Some people are asking if that's the global number. No, 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 that's just domestic. That's just uh, North American numbers. That doesn't include the rest of the world. So a very, very good opening for the Batman indeed. And I will talk about that a lot more on the John Cabe Show but tomorrow. But today, we're here to talk the Batman. Vengeance. I don't know why, but Ray all weekend has been going around mimicking batman but instead instead of saying i'm vengeance ray's been going around all weekend going i'm vegan <laughs> i don't know why well we're watching the ufc fights me dennis zen my buddy ryan soul ray we're watching the ufc fights last night and i don't know why like but every time a commercial came on for like either pizza or a fast food restaurant ray would just go i'm vegan and just whatever but yeah that was that anyway guys are here to talk about the batman now you guys have already heard me talk about my, we gave our review. We did like a full half hour non-spoiler review of the Batman the other day. You guys know I love this movie. So just assume I loved everything about it, except for two things. There are two things that I didn't love about it, all right? The first thing that I didn't love about it was the second half of the third act. The whole thing about them, uh, everybody piling into the arena. It's like, so that, that was the Riddler's big endgame to kill the mayor-elect and a bunch of civilians, and okay, I mean, that, that was his big thing, and Catwoman just happened to be driving by the arena 
when the police are saying, sorry, you can't go anywhere, lady. You got to go in the arena like everybody else. So she just happened to be in there. Um, and then, of course, like Riddler using all these online psychopaths, anonymous psychopaths, and it just trusts that nothing would slip and nothing would leak. Guess what? These unbalanced people online, they tend to make things leak. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still like the second half of the third act. I did. I'm just saying, like, to me, it didn't live up to that near level of perfection that the rest of the movie did. But we'll talk about that a bit, uh, a little bit more as we go on in the show. The The other thing I really didn't like, um, I really didn't like that whole Joker thing at the end. That felt like it was coming out of another movie altogether. And it was just a moment. It didn't affect my overall enjoyment of the, of the whole movie because it was just a moment in the film. But I felt like that entire scene with Riddler talking to Joker in the next cell, I, I felt like that was like completely out of another movie, like completely out of a separate movie that just suddenly appeared. And it's like, what? Like it didn't fit the tone or anything of the rest of the film, but whatever. Those, those are my nitpicks. I'm just throwing out my, uh, my nitpicks there right now to say what I thought about it. Anyway, there it is, guys. It's the Batman. And what we're going to do here today is we're going to spend most of our time taking your thoughts, observations, comments, and questions about the Batman. You've been hearing me talking about it for days. We'll now go over to you, and I'm sure as we go through today's show, we're going to get to a lot of them. Now, I'm also going to let you guys know this. Buckle up. This is going to be long. All right? Buckle up. This is going to be long. Uh, We already have a hundred, a little over a hundred pages worth of comments, questions, and everything that you guys have sent in. So I don't know that we're going to get through all of them today. I'm going to try to get through all of them today, at least as much as I can. Uh, But we do have a long way to go. So buckle up, everybody. It's time to talk the Batman and let's get over to it and start things off here, shall we? We're going to start things off here with CMG2491, who writes in, The movie was absolutely amazing, I agree. But my absolute favorite part was Batman realizing his mission of vengeance wasn't helping the city, uh, wasn't helping the city, but hurting it. I don't think that was the takeaway. I could tell, oh, sorry, CMG, uh, when the Riddler follower called himself vengeance, just the expression in his eyes told us everything we needed to know. Uh, Then the final voiceover of him understanding it was hope that the city needs. So, you know, I don't think... I don't think the Batman came to a realization that he was hurting the city rather than helping it. I mean, he saved a lot of lives. He saved a lot of people. But he also realized, I think, in that moment, well, and it wasn't just the Riddler guy saying, I'm vengeance. It was also his conversation with Riddler in the prison, right? He realized that in the midst of all the good he is doing, and he is doing good, but in the midst of all the good he's doing, he's realizing there's also some negative side effects to what he's doing. A guy like Riddler feeling empowered now is one of those negative side effects. The fact that he realized that he's also helping to inspire some of the crazies in Gotham, that was a negative side effect. But I don't think he came to the realization that overall he was hurting Gotham. But that's why I think in that last little dialogue of his, he says, I've got to be more. I have to be more like what I'm, I'm, there's a lot of what I'm doing is good, but I have to be more. I've got it because he saw that he was inspiring some crazies. He now realized, ah, I've also got to inspire the people. I've got to give them hope. 
And that was symbolized beautifully by that imagery of him walking with the torch through the waters and people starting to follow him. And then that woman on the on the stretcher getting ready to get helicoptered away, grabbing onto him like she saw him as hope. So he realized he had to evolve. And so I, I really did like that part of it uh, for sure. All right. Next up, Jesse writes. Are we at Jesse? Uh, yes, we are at Jesse who writes. I could tell from the first five minutes that this movie really understood Batman as a character. The criminal seeing the signal and being paranoid of the darkness was brilliant. I love this movie. Dude, I love that part. Like they see the symbol and they just didn't just go, oh no, the Batman's coming and he ran away. Like he sees a symbol, he's suddenly feeling afraid. And then he looks down into a dark alley, which he was just getting ready to run down. And he realized he might be in that alley. He might be in that shadowy corner. And I loved it in the sense that that did that wasn't the movie helping us understand Batman. That was us. That was the movie helping us understand Gotham and understand where Gotham was at in that moment. And I agree that moment was awesome. I love that they had that in there. All right. Next up, we got Jake C. Who writes favorite version of Gotham City and all Batman media. I completely agree. I, this truly did Gotham justice more than any of the other great batman movies this one got it the best i think tim platt writes well twilight boy is officially dead uh, the way pattinson expressed empathy and sadness for the kid uh, just through his eyes was amazing i agree also the store at the beginning was called good times nice swing i didn't even notice that tim was that really the name guys in the live chat was that really the name of the convenience store I, i've seen the movie twice and i didn't even know it was called good times because if so, that is a very good call out. Of course, that was one of the great Robert Pattinson movies that he's done in the last few years. That's a really good. I never knew that, Tim. Thanks for putting that on my radar, man. All right. Next up. Uh, Ricketho writes, hey, John, Man of Steel has been my favorite DC movie since it released. But this movie topped Man of Steel for me. I was shocked on how much I love the Batman. Yeah, I'm still not sure um, where this movie ranks on my all-time favorite. It's it's at least in my top two. Now, you guys know, <coughs> for, for those of you who don't, uh, that guy back there, that's my favorite, that has been my favorite DCEU movie forever. Like, since the DCEU's been around, Man of Steel has been my favorite DCEU movie. Uh, I'm not saying that the Batman has replaced it, but I'm considering it. I gotta, I gotta marinate on that a bit longer. I got to sit on that a bit longer, but at the very minimum, I will say the Batman is easily in my top two or three favorite DC movies as a whole. Now, obviously this Batman is not a DCEU movie, but man, I don't know. Like it's the very fact that it's in the conversation with Man of Steel, the very fact that this movie is now in the conversation with the Dark Knight. And again, I'm not saying it's better than the Dark Knight, not yet. But just the very fact that it's in that conversation is already a huge win. Already a huge win, man. All right. Tim Platt also writes, I haven't smiled that much at a car chase since Mad Max Fury Road. I had literal chills watching it. The hearing of the Batmobile starting up definitely brought the filthy. Dude, I'm telling you what. The sound design. This is some of the best sound design I've ever heard since Star Wars The Phantom Menace with the pod racer scene. I know a lot of people don't like the pod race scene. But the sound design in the Padre scene in The Phantom Menace is perfection. It's absolute perfection in sound design. And I haven't felt this impacted and moved by sound design in a movie <coughs> in a long time, man. 
And just that Batmobile, the re- and, and the car chase is one of the greatest car chases I've seen ever. It, it's, it's in a top five now for me with one of the best car action sh- sequences ever, Tim. All right, Steel Smith writes, favorite scene, mine was the car chase or train fight. I don't, I can't pick out a favorite scene yet. There's, I, it's still so fresh and still so new to me. I have to sit on it for a bit. I mean, the part where he's in the apartment with Commissioner Gordon and he comes across the bat, says, I don't think that rat really doesn't like you, man. It's not a rat. Like that whole scene that happens there is unbelievable. The thumb drive scene is unbelievable. That opening fight scene with the with the street gang was amazing. That really laid the groundwork for what we were going to get in this combat. So I, I don't know. I'm not ready to call a favorite scene yet. All right. <clears throat> Next up. Uh, Rickatho writes, just like you, I also had the opinion that uh, Ben Affleck was the best live action Batman. But for me, once Pattinson slowly walked out of the shadows and into uh, in the beginning, he instantly became my new favorite. I, I don't know yet. Like, I loved Pattinson as Batman. Let's just be clear about that. I thought Robert Pattinson's Batman was amazing and certainly better than Ben Affleck's Batman in Justice League. I, But Ben Affleck's portrayal of the Dark Knight in Batman versus Superman may still be my favorite because here's the one, let me point out the one flaw and again, I loved Robert. Make Don't twist my words here. I loved Robert Pattinson's Batman. But the one little flaw that I had with Robert Pattinson's Batman was he never showed us a duality of Batman and Bruce Wayne. Now, Batman's the real guy and Bruce Wayne is the mask. But when you watch... Not Justice League, but Batman versus Superman. When you watch Batman versus Superman, Ben Affleck's Batman understood that he is Batman. But he also learned how to create that duality. That the Bruce Wayne persona existed and was real. My one critique of Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves' Batman, and this is, it's a minor one, but it's like when he shows up at the funeral, right? He's supposed to be Bruce Wayne. There was no dichotomy between Bruce Wayne and Batman. He was still kind of the same guy. And I felt like Ben Affleck understood that a little bit better. And Ben Affleck and Zack Snyder learned, knew how to create that dichotomy a little bit better than Matt Reeves. But you can still make the argument that, you know, Robert Pattinson's Batman is still learning to be Batman, right? It's only year two. So that's why I'm still not sure if Robert Pattinson's Batman has exceeded Ben Affleck's Batman. Like, I like this movie much better than I like Batman versus Superman. And I like Batman versus Superman. But I like this movie better than Batman versus Superman. But I just felt that that was the one aspect of the Batman that Snyder and Affleck nailed a little bit better was creating that duality. Um, whereas there was no duality in Robert Pattinson's Batman. That's my one criticism, but again, it's early in his career. Let's see where they go with it. All right, next up. Uh, CMG writes, what were your thoughts on the Joker cameo uh, and Druig Barry Keoghan playing him? Potential sequel villain or Jess Reeves setting him him up in the universe? I thought it was terrible. I'm not going to lie. I thought that was the single worst thing about this movie. It felt totally out of place. It felt very jarring. And it's like, really? Like in this maximum security place, these... Criminals can just have easy conversations with each other. 
that's not being monitored or anything. I, I don't know. I, I thought it was terrible. I think I think Barry Keoghan can be a very good Joker if given the chance, but I don't necessarily think they were setting him up to be the villain in the sequel. He, they might, they may not. We'll have to find out. All right, next up. Tim Platt writes, the score, my God, the score. Bomb, 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 bomb. Uh, mag- magnifique. And Ave Maria used to be so calming for me. Yeah, the use of Ave Maria was great, but this is the thing. Sometimes simplicity is your most effective option. Basically, the entire score of the Batman is revisiting the refrain of bum, 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 bum. Sometimes it's single piano notes. Ding, 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 ding. Sometimes it's like a custom strings. Boom, 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 boom. And sometimes it's full orchestral. Boom, 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 boom. But you'd think... It, like, if they told you just a lot through this movie, they just reuse that refrain, bum, 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 bum. You'd think, oh, well, that's going to get monotonous and repetitive, but it doesn't. It's used so incredibly. And every time those damn notes played in this movie, my blood rushed. Like, every time he's walking out of the shadows and it's bum, 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 bum. I'm like, yes! It was so good. So good and simple. Not that you have to be simple, but not that you can't be simple but he michael giacchino find a way to take the simplicity of that and make it powerful and emotional and effective absolutely loved it absolutely loved it tim all right next up uh media fanatic writes pattinson is only behind affleck for the best batman ever in my opinion his theme playing with the opening criminal montage was some of the best batman concept put to screen also riddler was horrifying riddler was horrifying and again, I want people to make sure you understand there's a distinction between, you know, if this is your favorite Batman movie, it doesn't necessarily mean Robert Pattinson has to be your favorite Batman, nor if Robert Pattinson is your favorite Batman, that doesn't mean this has to be your favorite Batman movie. They can be both, but I'm just saying like when I say, you know, that I, I still kind of, I, I'm still wrestling with the idea of is Batflick my favorite or is now Pattinson my favorite, I'm not wondering whether i like man of or batman versus superman more than this movie i don't this movie i like even more than Bat, uh, batman versus superman and i really do like that movie a lot but there they are two different conversations but i agree paul dano killed it in this movie dude killed it media fanatic all right chef rigo <clears throat> again who was our chef at our uh, party the other night um the way this batman was introduced holy f can't ever look in the shadows the same again. Can't wait to see it again. Uh, this time in Dolby. There was something so powerful just about that imagery. Because I'll tell you what, there's also something about the sequence of it. <laughs> because if they showed the police officers being intimidated by Batman before showing us that even the criminals in the streets were afraid to go into the shadows because of Batman, it might not have felt authentic. But because they showed us that first... Then, when Batman walks in that room with all the cops and everything, and all the cops are like, like, holy crap, he's here, right? Then it feels epic. And it's it's brilliant by the way Matt Reeves conducted that whole thing, Chef Rigo, absolutely. And I can't wait to eat at your restaurant again. All right, Jesse writes, I was absolutely petrified that they were going to kill Alfred in that explosion. I really enjoyed their relationship. Just wish we saw a little more of it, uh, of it though, but I'm sure we'll get it in the next one. Yeah, no kidding. They got me. 
I, I actually thought for a second Alfred was dead before they showed him in the, in the hospital room. And I thought, is that why they didn't show him very much in the trailers? Does Alfred die? And because I do love Andy Serkis's Alfred was great. And the very fact that he he's kind of the one who did mentor Bruce in this world. He's the one who taught Bruce how to fight in this world. And the fact that he was doing some of the detective work with Bruce, I thought was great. And listen, Andy Serkis is effing jacked, man. He is jacked. And I was kind of hoping to see him throw down a little bit in the movie, too. But no, he survived. I hope we get to see him maybe throw down a little bit <clears throat> uh, in in the future. All right. Next up, uh, Jake C. writes, All right, Alfred, I finally built a second Batarang. Oh, and you were right about it not being a good idea to store it directly in the middle of my chest. I thought that a couple of times. Number one, because when you move, right, there's flat. Your chest flexes and gives and stretches when you move right if you had a solid piece of metal right across here it would become cumbersome in your movement it would become a bit cumbersome in your movement i thought about that a couple times but whatever i thought the bat blade was awesome all right (laughs) next up cam k writes the batmobile in this movie uh, was in and of itself a character it totally was it had life a soul you could feel its presence when it was on screen like it was alive. Absolutely. I mean, I, I it was like if you just looked at the design of the car before going in to see the movie, and a lot of people did, a lot of people thought, well, that doesn't look very good. And I get it. It it didn't look it didn't have that instant overwhelming oh my godishness like the tumbler did, right? Because like when you saw the tumbler, you're like, oh my God. I mean, look at that thing, right? And you didn't get that with the Batmobile. But then you see the Batmobile in context and you see the Batmobile in action. And then it becomes your favorite Batmobile. <laughs> I mean, look, I still kind of think maybe the Tumblr is still my favorite, but oh my God, this thing was, was it was like Batman himself. It was something that would create nightmares in you. When Penguin is just looking down that alley and the Batmobile's down there with the lights come on and starts revving its engine, it becomes Jason. The Batmobile becomes uh, Michael Voorhees. That Batmobile becomes Freddy. It's the thing out of your nightmares, and it's coming for you. And it was just awesome. By the way, I want to point something out here. <clears throat> that when when Robert Pattinson's Batman in the car chase got through the explosion and then came up on Penguin's car and smashed Penguin's car and sent it flying, spinning 80 times violently, that would have killed whoever was in the car 9 out of 10 times. Can can we all agree on that? That the way they show, like he did just bump the car and the car kind of rolled over once. That crash was horrific. So when Badson rams that, rams Penguin's car, and it goes flying and, and rolls like 100 times or whatever before it finally stops, um, that thing is done that thing is done like nine out of ten times whoever's in that car is dead so i don't want to hear thing from anybody that batman would never do anything that could possibly kill somebody because nine 90 percent chance penguin dies in that crash 90 percent chance he could have died in that crash and i and now again but it's set up an awesome shot though right because this penguin is hanging upside down in that car and he sees Freddie Myers. He sees Freddie Myers coming down the street. He sees Michael Voorhees coming down that street. 
He sees Jason Kruger coming. He sees the embodiment of all nightmares coming down that, walking towards him, and the fear in his face. And I love the fact that in that shot, Matt Reeves never reinverts the camera. He keeps the camera upside down to communicate the discombobulation of the of the criminal and understanding it. By the way, how great was Colin Farrell? I'm sure somebody else will write that then in how great Colin Farrell was, but yes. All right, uh, next up. Casey Mack writes, you know, some little fun crossover news you should know about. The kid that was joining the gang at the beginning of the Batman uh, and runs away was actually Jay Lycurgo, who plays Tim Drake in Titans. Oh, I didn't know that. <coughs> I had no idea. Really? I mean, I, I tapped out on Titans. I watched Titans season one and uh, I gave up on it. I tapped out on it, but I did not know that they they did brought him in there to be a little bit of a crossover. That's actually pretty funny. I like that very much. Um, by the way, I'm, hold a second. I'm seeing some some conversation in the thing about did he just say Freddie? Guys, it's I'm doing that on purpose. Yeah, like like. Whoosh. Anyway, um, next up. Uh, thank you for that, Casey. That's actually really good to know. I had no idea that that was true. All right, next up, we got Tim Platt who writes. Uh, this is probably the most R-rated PG-13 movie I've ever seen. Watching it, I couldn't believe it, it wasn't rated R. I agree. I, I agree. This was the most... Look, I, I will say this. I think the MPA was very generous in giving this movie a PG-13. Like, right from the beginning, when you got a, a psychotic serial killer stalking a mare and then bludgeoning him to death in his own thing and slicing off appendages and i don't know look but it, can we please now stop the idiotic conversation that comes up whenever a movie gets announced and it doesn't get a rating a rating r and some of these peons running out oh no it's not rated r oh my goodness how can it be any good if it's not rated r it's gonna be for little kitties can we stop this idiotic conversation now yes there are certain things you cannot do uh, in a movie, if it's going to be rated R, but there is a fuck ton you can do in a movie. Is anybody today going to say this movie was not dark and gritty and violent? Hell, one of the one of the pieces of uh, criticism I hear a lot of people like going around saying, "Oh, I didn't like this. It was too dark." Like I some and and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Like if some certain people's sensibilities is, "Hey, you know what? I don't really jive with things that are that dark." That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just kind of find it funny that in this PG-13, when everybody cried, oh, no, Batman's going to be PG-13. How can it possibly be any good? Now we actually have a lot of people who are saying, like, I couldn't get into this movie because it was just far too dark. It was grim, and it was violent, and it was gritty. So can we please put this conversation to rest? And just can we please now understand that you can do a lot in a movie and still get a PG-13 rating. Yeah, there were no boobies. And yeah, we didn't get to see blood gushing out of a severed artery. And we didn't get to hear Batman drop seven fuck bombs. But would that have made the movie any better? No. So can we please put that conversation to rest? Not, not that there isn't a good time and place for a good solid hard R rating. Absolutely there is. But the lack of an R rating, the Batman proves does not negatively mean anything at all. Uh, and I, I thought this movie was great on that level. All right. 
next up, where are we at? We are at Casey Mack who writes, out of all the Easter eggs, I think the one that caught me uh, by surprise was the hush when they were going through the history of the Waynes. I don't know if you're using the word hush there literally or if you're making reference to the storyline. By the way, very cool call out about Martha Wayne, actually her maiden name being Arkham. That was like really cool. Uh, deep dive there for Matt Reeves on that. That was really good. Um, <clears throat> I thought that whole setup was great because I was one of the people who bought into the notion that watching the trailers for the Batman, that Paul Dano's Riddler may have been a Wayne himself. The way the trailer set it up, I was kind of connecting to that. I was thinking, you know what? I'm not going to be surprised if he's a Wayne. If it turns out that Bruce is actually his long-lost brother and or half-brother, but the one who got all the good stuff and I ended up in squalor, right? So anyway, that was a really cool way they set up. They set that whole thing up, and the connection with Carmine Falcone to, Falcone to it all was great. All right, next up, uh, Jesse writes, is it just me or was that Titan slash Venom Bane juice he injected into himself uh, in the final fight for the extra boost of strength, maybe just adrenaline. Oh, don't laugh. The very first thing that went through my head was it was Venom, right? The first, okay, For and for those of you who don't know what Venom is, I'm not talking about the Spider-Man villain character. Um, in the comic books, there's a character named Bane. And Bane is the guy who broke the bat. He's the one who broke Batman's back and sent him off. And uh, Jean-Paul had to come in. Azrael had to come in and be Batman for a period of time. And he went psychotic, but whatever. But this, this um, uh, what's the best word for it? Uh, PED, this performance-enhancing drug, it's basically a steroid on steroids, right? So Bane injects himself with venom. He's super huge, super powerful, and blah, 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 right? So, yeah. I ain't going to lie. The first time I saw him pull that out, that uh, that uh, vial, and stick himself with it, my first thought was, oh, my God, does he have venom? But the more, the big, 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 more probable answer was it was probably adrenaline. It was probably pure adrenaline. Um, and I didn't see where he injected it because the camera just does a really tight close-up of a little uh, injector area that he has somewhere on his suit. I didn't see specifically where, but I wouldn't have been surprised if it was like, if you guys ever saw uh, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, when they inject adrenaline like right into the heart, I wouldn't be surprised if he like injected it straight into his heart. So he said something like, like, right, right. It was very much, so listen, did I also have the thought that maybe it was Venom? I did. But it's far more likely that it was just like pure adrenaline, like an EpiPen for, for adrenaline. Uh, some people are saying it was his leg <coughs> that he jabbed. In. There you go. So he jabbed it into his leg. So uh, I didn't I didn't catch where it was because, again, it was that tight close up shot. But there you go. So, yeah, I think the most likely is that it was adrenaline. But who knows? Maybe that was maybe that was a little crumb that Matt Reeves put down for us that could lead into a story later on. Like in the sequel, maybe somebody else comes across whatever that formula was. I mean, I don't know. Again, it was probably just adrenaline. All right. Uh, Zishan writes, first thing my bro said after was, I liked it, but where are they going? Uh, is this Batman going to be the just in the Justice League? Can't uh, movies stand alone? I mean, that was my big thing. 
One of the reasons I love the, even the notion of this movie is that it's a standalone movie. No, there is no fucking Justice League in this thing, okay? And that's what I loved about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the Justice League, too. And I love all that. But, but I, this movie, just like Joker, proved again, not every goddamn fucking comic book movie has to be a shared cinematic universe movie. Can we please grow beyond that? No, don't get me wrong. I loved my shared cinematic comic book movies, my shared cinematic universe comic book movies. I do. I love them. But I also love having a little bit of variety. I also like having a little bit of creativity. The comic books have always told shared universe stories, and the comic books have always told offshoot one-offs that are disconnected. They've always done it. And I love the fact that Warner Brothers is embracing the idea of standalone outside of shared cinematic universe movies like Joker, like Robert Pattinson's Batman. When I say standalone, I don't mean one shot. Like we're obviously going to get more Robert Pattinson Batman, but it doesn't have to be connected to that Superman universe or that Flash or whatever. It doesn't have to be. And I love that about Joker. And what happened? Both Joker and this Batman have been absolute triumphs. Now, I don't want us to pendulum swing the other way and go, oh, now let's not do any shared cinematic universe movies. No, 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 no. We, we absolutely should. I can't wait to watch Flash. I can't wait to watch Aquaman. But it's great that they can do both. Let's have shared cinematic universe and let's have standalones. I think that's the way the comics have done it. I love the fact that they're doing it here. So I think that's great. Okay. Let's see. Next up, we have... Uh, that was just Sean. We got Cam K who writes... I know this is a stretch, but what uh, do you think the likelihood is that boy Bruce was empathizing with the boy that Bruce was empathizing with later becomes Robin? The groundwork is there. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. Um, I'm going to say no, <laughs> but it's absolutely possible. Listen, when you understand the underlying principles about the robin particularly the dick grayson robin is that robin batman identified with him because robin himself suffered a major tragedy losing his parents you know in the comic books though it's at the circus and blah 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 this is another this is another situation but still this was a kid who suffered massive tragedy violent thing he was the one who walked in on the body of his father and all that kind of stuff however I don't think it is because there's one major difference between the Robin origin, the the Dick Grayson origin, and this kid. And I'm not talking about one was in a circus and one was in a house. That's That's not really relevant. The big major difference is that Dick Grayson, like Bruce Wayne, lost both of his parents. That's where the empathy comes from that's where that's where the attachment comes from in the comic books at any rate dick grayson lost both of his parents just like bruce did and that is a fundamentally different situation here this kid didn't lose both of his parents he still has a loving mother a parent who loves him and will nurture him and guide him through life and all that kind of stuff and that's a bit of a different thing that's a bit of a different thing So while I think it's absolutely possible they could, my guess would be no, because there's just too much of a fundamental difference there. All right. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, 
<clears throat> um, hold on a second. Uh, ha, Chris, Chris Braxton in the live chat. And I'm sorry to call you out, Chris. It's like all, all in love, brother, all in love. But Chris Braxton in the live chat saying, Batman alone isn't going to work for multiple movies. Oh, like James Bond? Like James, James Bond. You can't just do James Bond. You can't do James Bond in multiple movies. James Bond has to team up with, I don't know, uh, Jason Bourne. James Bond has to do big team-ups with other big... Fi- no. Perfectly good. James Bond. And by the way, Batman doesn't actually work alone. He's got himself. He's got Alfred. He's got Commissioner Gordon. And that circle will probably uh, move on a lot too. So, yes... You can do multiple movies with just Batman. You absolutely can. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, uh, that was Cam K. Next up, we've got KC Mack, who writes, For some reason, I kept thinking the mayor's son that Batman kept on having to save was going to be nicknamed Dick at some point. Now, nah, I mean, Christopher Nolan did that in The Dark Knight Rises, when they kind of give the little wink with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character's actual real legal name was Robin. By the way, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was not Robin. They, that was just a little wink. Christopher Nolan came out and explicitly explained that. That was just a little wink. They could have done that with this character. <clears throat> but it would have been, I, I think it would have been a little bit too much like what Christopher Nolan did. Then again, they totally copied Christopher Nolan at the end of the Batman Begins with, oh, now there's this guy called the Joker with the card. Ooh, look, in Arkham Asylum, there's the Joker. I, I, that's why I thought that was a terrible decision at the end, but it is what it is. And again, Casey, we may find out that it is. Uh, my guess is no, but it's possible. All right, next up. Zishan writes, overall good but dis- disjointed and boring at parts. I disagree. Um, I, I disagree. I did not find it disjointed in the least. But, you know, it's a Sean, that was your experience with it, and your experience was a little bit different than mine, but your experience is no less valid than mine. But I must say, mine, I, I was not bored at any part of this movie. I didn't love every single part, but I was never bored. For me personally, I was never bored. But, hey, that was your experience, and that was yours. Thanks for sharing yours. All right. Ronaldo Jasperin writes, or Jasperson writes, the final act was very emotional on second viewing. Uh, Bruce uh, lending a hand to humanity after having neglected his own. Gotham is a character Bruce loves. See, I think to me, the allegory here was this. Even though he says some things about helping people in the movie, the reality was that this early iteration of Batman was about punishing the wicked in Gotham, being vengeance. A great illustration of that is in the beginning of the movie when he has that fight with the street gang, right? He beats the shit out of those guys who are about to take out that that civilian guy, right? He, he bashes the hell out of them. But he really, he was there to punish them and to stop them from doing bad. He wasn't really there to help the guy. And that might sound like there's it's it's kind of splitting hairs. But after he beat the crap out of them, he just kind of looks down at the guy, right? Like he wasn't, he didn't rush over to him. You're going to be okay. I'm here for you. I got you. You're all right. Did they hurt you, right? He was there to stop them from doing something to a, to a, to a citizen. He wasn't really there to help the citizen, 
even though the end result was the same. Am I making sense? Do you understand what I'm saying here? Whereas at the end of the movie, it was now about helping people. And that's where that that switch kind of gets thrown for him at the end. When he's leading people out of the water and when that woman grabs onto his arm for the thing, like she, he's become a symbol of hope. And that's what I think he meant when he said, I have to become something more. He's got the first half right, punish the wicked. But now he's got to be more than that. He has to become about helping people, about being that symbol of hope as well. And I think that was very, very well illustrated there. Thanks for sending that in, Ronaldo. All right, Chef Rigo writes, I love how this Batman is literally uh, still learning. The fact that he he the fact that he fully hasn't mastered on how to to glide only makes me excited to see him perfect it. Listen, that is one of the best things about this movie was that he was not um, he was not perfect. Like every fight scene, he took some shots. You know, a lot of comic movies, the hero fights henchmen, and it's like they never lay a finger on him. Ooh, I'm sick. And and this, every big fight he got into, he took some shots. And he, he got injured, and he'd be hurt. And you're right, his skydiving thing wasn't perfect. <clears throat> it was good enough, but it wasn't perfect. And you're right, and that's why we as the audience need to remember, this is Batman in just his second year. And I love the fact that Matt Reeves not only showed that, but embraced it. Uh, I think that's a good observation, Chef. All right, next up, Cam K writes, I would like a four-hour movie of the Batman on adrenaline, please. Uh, we saw how intense he was. Uh, then he gets adrenaline and damn near kills that guy. Whoa. And by the way, again, very easily could have killed that guy. I think very, very easily could have killed that guy. Like when you saw how heavy those shots were with those iron mitt bulletproof gloves and he's like bang right on the he easily could have cracked the guy's skull and killed him i mean he easily could have but he didn't thankfully but yeah that was pretty when he like sits up like and he starts going pardon the pun but batshit crazy on the guy was pretty awesome all right casey mack writes the end when batman was confronting the riddler i thought for sure riddler knew bruce wayne was batman but now i'm not uh, too sure because he said Bruce Wayne was the only guy that got away. Oh, no, you can be 100% sure, Casey Mack. Riddler didn't know he was he was Bruce Wayne. He didn't know that. But Matt Reeves did a great job of setting us as the audience up to believe that he did, just like Bruce believed. Like Bruce, you could tell Bruce felt helpless. This guy knows who I am. He thought He thought he knew he was Bruce Wayne. But he didn't connect those dots. And that's when he says, he was, it's too bad he got away. But we'll get him next time or whatever it was. So yeah, be, you can be certain about that. Riddler did not know that Batman was Bruce Wayne. All right, next up. Bailey Fuller writes, um, Batman was good, but wished an, but wished an epilepsy warning. You know what? <clears throat> In my theater, there was an, epile- an epilepsy warning. At the concession stands, there were these big placards that said, uh, for audiences seeing the Batman, understand there are images of blah, 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 blah. And there was a warning of that, at least in my theater. Uh, next up, uh, Jesse writes, another thing I loved was the brutality. Like when Batman gets shot in the chest uh, with a shotgun, the way it blew him off his feet felt very real. Yeah, that's the thing. Like there, there was a verisimilitude to it. There was a groundedness to it. Like I don't care how good his body armor is. 
if he gets shot point blank with a shotgun of that gauge, it's it's going to have kick and it's going to hurt and it may even knock you out. I mean, and I love the fact that they embrace that there too. All right, next up, Casey Mack writes, uh, when that bomb went off, it really made me jump a, a few feet off my chair. I don't know why it was just so sudden and I guess... Uh, I did not expect it to be so fast. I mean, listen, one of the best things that not a lot of people are talking about in this movie is the editing. The editing of this film is so on point, knowing exactly when to have something happen and when to cut to this and when to cut to that. Certain moments with glances and looks or explosions or crashes or punches, whatever. The editing of this film was top-notch, Casey, and I'm glad you recognize that. All right, next up. Uh, Bradley Bernal... Angulo writes, hope I'm saying your name right, Bradley. Uh, Matt Reeves said in an interview that the Joker scene wasn't meant as a teaser for the sequel and that he had a, and that he had shot a scene where Batman sneaks into Arkham to consult uh, with him on the Riddler case. That makes sense because if the Joker is in jail, somebody put him there. And if the city is already well aware of who the Batman is and criminals already fear him in just year two, he would have had to have already taken somebody very big and significant down. So the notion that the Joker is somebody that Batman already tangled with, (coughs) pardon me, that the Joker is somebody he already tangled with and already put in prison, that would explain a lot. That would explain a lot. It wouldn't have been necessary to the movie. I'm glad they cut it out, but it would explain a lot. Uh, all right, next up. We got Will Lambert who writes, Dano's monologue in prison was my favorite. Uh, we think he's figured out that Bruce is Batman, but then he actually doesn't. I was stressed out. Listen, this movie does great misdirects for us as the audience, <clears throat> and it totally keeps us on our toes. Totally keeps us on our toes. And that was one of the best Mr. Number one, I was totally convinced that they just killed Alfred. Thank goodness they didn't. Number two, they totally convinced me that Riddler figured out who he was, but he didn't. And again, that's just, again, chef's kiss to Matt Reeves for being able to pull that off so well. All right, next up. Uh, Bradley writes in again, and he writes, Reeves also said this Joker has a disease where he can't stop smiling from birth. Uh, He had him in the original scene he took out to establish his relationship with Batman. Could he be in the Arkham show? Well, for those of you who don't know what Bradley's talking about, they've already confirmed that there is an HBO series coming uh, on that's going to be kind of centered around Arkham Asylum. Could Joker be the main character in this Arkham Asylum movie? It's possible. I mean, it's... I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. My guess will be the Arkham show will more focus on more obscure characters. But <clears throat> understanding that we already see Joker in there, you'd be foolish not to think it's at least possible. So I'll go on a limb in here and say, yeah, I think it's possible that that uh, that it could be doing that. All right. Next up, we got TT and TT writes. The Batman was so good that my actual expectations for the sequel is for it to give The Dark Knight a run for its money for best Batman slash comic book movie, 9.5 out of 10. Listen, I I still think it, it all, I think this movie gives The Dark Knight a run for its money. I'm not saying it's better than The Dark Knight yet, but I might in a week or two. 
or I might not, whatever. But the very fact that it's even in that conversation with the TT is absolutely amazing, and I absolutely loved it too. I'm glad you had a good time with him, man. All right, next up. Jacep uh, Karika writes, John, towards the end, Batman injects himself with something through a port. The substance was green, maybe venom, a, pre a prelude to Bane, maybe just a nod. I mean, again, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Possible. I, I think it is more likely that he was just ready with adrenaline in case he found himself in that situation. <clears throat> so I'm going to say it was adrenaline, pure adrenaline. But we've seen Matt Reeves drop little crumbs already in this movie. Maybe that fluid becomes, maybe it's not venom, but is it possible whatever it is he injected becomes a precursor to venom? Possibly. Maybe. For now, I'm going to stick with pure adrenaline, but let's keep our minds open that it could be something else there too. Because again, that was the first thought that was in my mind when I saw the scene. All right. Uh, Abraham Ruiz writes, one of two. As a major Nirvana fan, I really got a kick out of it when they played the song uh, and wasn't just a pick for the first trailer. Really sets the mood. It does. Yeah, I don't even like that song, to be honest with you. But it was so perfect for the mood. The beginning of the movie, end of the movie, there was just something about it that was very appropriate. It set the feel for it, and it worked. And that's what a piece of music needs to do, Abraham. So I'm glad you noticed that, too. All right, Abraham also... Oh, so part two. I also think it helps drive the idea of his question being answered at the end about him making a difference with the song being played twice. Possibly, it does create a good tie-in, to with that whole soliloquy at the beginning of the film as well, and it ties it up very nicely near the end. That's a good observation, dude. All right, next up. Casey Mack writes... Um, uh, is it wrong of me of wishing we don't see the Joker as a main villain in any of these sequels and at best he is just an Easter egg I want Batman's other rogue villains to get a chance to shine um, I don't think that's wrong of you to feel that way but I don't agree I don't agree the Batman and the Joker are yin and yang the Joker is so intimately connected with the mythology of Batman and who the Batman is that I don't think, I don't think it's responsible to go too many movies without having the Joker. The Joker is his ultimate foil. And we can say, well, we've seen Joker so many times. Yes, but we've seen Batman so many times. We've seen Batman so many times. And yet here we are with each new iteration that give, gives us something new. When Heath Ledger's Joker came out, he said, ah, there was already Jack's Joker. <clears throat> we don't need to see Joker again, <clears throat> but I'm glad they did because it was awesome. And when they announced Joaquin Phoenix's, ah, we don't, like, we had Joker so many times. Why do they need to do a Joker movie? And yet it got nominated for Best Picture and was awesome. The answer to your statement, we've seen Joker so many times, is yes, we have. But we've also seen Batman a lot of times. The key is, what do they do to make this Joker quintessentially Joker, but also unique? And so I'm not saying they needed to make him the, the villain for the first film. I'm not even saying they need to make him the villain for the second film. But if you understand Batman and the connection between Batman and Joker, you can't go too long with, without covering that ground. We now know this Batman, but now we got to know this Batman with his version of Joker. 
So, yeah, it's not wrong that you don't want to see it, but I'm going to disagree because I do want to see it. So we'll see what they do with it. All right. Uh, next up, Inventory writes, My 7 p.m. show begins at 7.25. Audience started clapping when the previews ended, only for an eight-minute Batman countdown. Then the cast welcomed us. More clapping in anticipation. Ten more minutes of previews. What the fuck? Listen, it's a separate thing altogether, Inventory, but I've been saying for a long time, movie theaters need to do a better job and need to take a very serious look at the experience they are giving their customers. Because newsflash, we don't fucking go to the movie theaters for commercials. That's not why we go. If I want to watch a bunch of commercials with my movie, I'll watch it on TV. I won't pay you 18 bucks for a ticket to come and sit down and watch a half hour commercials. I love movie trailers. I did an entire documentary about movie trailers. I love them that much. But <clears throat> there is such thing as too much of a good thing. And that sort of thing inventory is something that they have to change. They have to change. Uh, all right. Next up. Ty Burton writes, The opening of the movie genuinely surprised me. I couldn't believe that they brought back Dr. Chase Meridian and the monologue too. Heartbreak truly does feel good in a place like this. Uh, in my so we had a John Campia show fan screening of the Batman the other day on Friday, and so everybody in the theater knew how we all feel about that. And I love Nicole Kidman, but that damn Nicole Kidman spot. So yeah, you guess it. As soon as the Nicole Kidman spot came on, everybody in our theater was like, yeah. "It was kind of funny." Heartbreak really does feel good in a place like this. Such a stupid line. All right, Zach Taylor writes. And holy crap, Zach Taylor like tipped in 50 bucks to be supportive. Thank you, Zach Taylor, for supporting our channel on that level, dude. That's very generous of you, man. Uh, and Zach writes, I love the narration at the beginning and end. So did I. The fear in the eyes of the criminals when they look up in the sky, I got goosebumps and I felt the fear. Acting was amazing, especially uh, RP, oh, Robert Pattinson, due to the facial expressions and his movements. Funny moments, uh, funny moments too. Is there another part to that? Okay. Um, oh, yeah, and there are funny moments, too. No, I, I, listen, the, this movie is carried by so many. There's no one thing that carries this movie. The performances are outstanding. Paul Dano, Colin Farrell, uh, Robert Pattinson, uh, Zoe Kravitz. I mean, uh, Jeffrey Wright. They're fantastic. But that's not the only thing carrying this movie. The direction of the movie was impeccable. But that's not the only thing carrying the movie. The score of the movie was beautiful. But that's not the only... Like, there were so many strong pillars carrying this movie, it's crazy. And you're right. <clears throat> they would interject these heavy, heavy moments every once in a while with a little bit of levity. And you need that. Like, even just a little thing, like when Batman holds up, thumb drive. Like, I don't know about you, but in my theater, everybody busts. Because I think people were needing a little bit of a release. Like, this movie is so dark and heavy that every once in a while, if you're a good director like Matt Reeves, you got to drop in little moments of humor, something to break the tension a little bit. And you could just tell, like, in my theater, I don't know about yours, but both times I saw the movie when he goes, thumb drive. Like, the whole audience laughed. And you could tell the audience needed the laugh, too, because the movie's so heavy. And then, like, when they're in Selena's apartment, it goes, you got a lot of cats. <laughs> like, every again, everybody in the theater laughs. It's good. That's, that's the, the sign of a very skilled storyteller, Zach. It's a sign of a very skilled storyteller 
understanding that I am bringing my audience along on a journey. And during that journey, we're going to need to take a rest break. We're going to need to take a food break. We're going to need a chance to stop and drink some water. And as a director is leading an audience through a story, he might think, you know what? We need a little bit of action here for our audience. You know what? This It's been getting pretty heavy up to this point. They need a moment to laugh and have a little bit of a release. And Matt Reeves plots this movie out so brilliantly. It's just so well done, Zach. And again, thank you, dude, for supporting our channel on that level, man. That's really, really nice of you. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Isaac uh, Meckler, who writes, The theater in Honolulu was probably the best theater I've ever been to. Well, just the fact that you got to be in Honolulu is pretty damn good to me. Uh, it was probably the best theater I've ever been to. Granted, I live in the California Central Valley, so I don't have a lot of options. Uh, the movie was great. Robert Pattinson is my new favorite Batman. I listen. Oh, so, so there's something called the Hol Honolulu? Like, did you, like, go to Honolulu to see the movie? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing your meaning here. But at any rate, Zach, and by the way, I'm noticing you're sending in 20 bucks. Thank you so much, Isaac. Um, I, I mean, I think a lot of people are going to come out of this movie and, and, and Robert Pattinson is going to be their new favorite Batman. I'm not there yet, but it's in the conversation. I mean, and you know what? You know, you know what my favorite moment involving Robert Pattinson in the movie was? was the one time we got a glimpse of his humanity. The one time we got a glimpse of his humanity in this movie, movie was in the hospital room with Alfred. And Alfred kind of becomes that living anchor for Bruce's humanity. Other than his anchor to Alfred, pretty much all of his humanity was gone. He was now just a machine of vengeance. A, a guy who lived for nothing now but his mission. And we see through the movie that that one, and you know what? There's a part of it where you could actually tell Bruce maybe is, is even a little bit bitter about that. That maybe Bruce is a little bit resentful of the fact of, of uh, Alfred. Because maybe he knows Alfred is the one thing still connecting me to my humanity. And maybe he's a little bit resentful of that. And then you get to that moment in the hospital. When he says, I thought I mastered my fear, but turns out I'm still terrified of one thing, losing somebody I care about. Beautiful moment. Absolutely beautiful moment. Loved it. Anyway, I agree with you 100% on that, Isaac, and thanks again for sending that in. All right. Mason Wilkerson writes, the chase uh, scene between Batman and Penguin was so badass. Dude, it's one of the best car chases I've ever seen. Uh, this Batmobile is definitely my favorite so far. Again, I still might think overall, for me, it might be the Tumblr. But my God, this car, again, it was a living nightmare. All right? It was Jason Kruger made manifest a living nightmare of the criminal element. When Penguin looks down that dark alley, man, it's like a horror movie. The lights come on, the engine revs, you feel the sound of that coming from the speakers in the theater and just beating through your chest. It was awesome. And then the look on Colin Farrell's face looking at that car, like he knew he was in trouble. Loved it. Absolutely loved that part. All right. Uh, I'm going to take one more question, guys, and then we're going to take a short break. Uh, Noel, sorry, Noah uh, Mel, Mel Melamstrand, Noah Melamstrand, I hope I'm saying your name right, dude, writes, I'd like to see Martian Manhunter to show up in the next movie to see if Batman would out-alien him. 
Uh, this Batman is truly a brooding creature of the night. He absolutely is. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't want, I don't want any Martian Manhunter. I don't want any Aquaman. I love Aquaman. I'm just saying, I don't want any Martian Manhunter. I don't want any Aquaman. I don't want any Flash. I don't want any Superman. I don't want none of that supernatural shit anywhere near this Batman. I don't want any of it anywhere near this Batman. I mean, we've got the DCEU Batman to give us that taste, and that's great. But this one is the Knight of Gotham, and that's I'm I'm loving it, and I want them to keep it at that. So bring in more characters like KG Beast, bring in somebody like a a, a Deathstroke, bring in some of the characters that are on that level, uh, and then we'll see where they go. We'll see where they go. Okay, guys. So listen. Uh, we still have a long way to go. I'm going to let you guys know that we're going to take every hour. Every hour, we're going to take a five-minute break because if I don't, my voice is going to be gone really damn fast. So we're going to take a little break right now for like five minutes or less. Um, so go grab yourselves a drink. Talk amongst yourselves for a bit. But I will let you know that once we come back from break, I'll be turning off the Super Chats. So if you still have a thought, opinion, observation, question, theory about the Batman that you want read, either on this broadcast or in uh, in our follow-up video to this, you've got five more minutes to send it in, but then I'm going to turn off the Super Chats, okay? So there you go. So give us five minutes, guys. Talk amongst yourselves. We will be right back. If I can find where my Be Right Back button is. There it is. We'll be right back.
All right, everybody, and we are back. Thank you so much as I took a little bit of break there. Once again, as I said, as we go through this show here today, we're going to be taking uh, a few minutes of a break at the top of every hour, so that's what we're going to do. But now, let's get back to it and start talking some more about the Batman. All right, next up, we got Jesse, who writes, I've heard some say that the film gets too slow or even boring at parts, and I know art hits people in different ways, but I, for one, was glued to every scene in this movie. Uh, the runtime felt like nothing to me. No, listen, I, I'm in agreement with you. Like, when I say I do feel like the movie was a little too long, but not because it felt long. Like, it never felt long to me. I just thought there were certain things that could have been cut out. But again, that's a minor nitpick because I don't actually think, I never found myself bored. Now, look, there are some people, and there's nothing wrong with this. There are some people who are more wired that then when they go in to watch a movie like The Batman, they want to see like a big action set piece every 10 or 15 minutes. They want like more grandiose set pieces and things like that, maybe more whatever. And I get that. There's nothing wrong with that. And that works. This movie wasn't that. But I love this kind of movie. And yeah, so for some people, it's going to hit them as maybe a little slow. Maybe, you know, how come there's not a fight every 10 minutes? Why isn't Batman fighting a giant crocodile or something like that? Or, or whatever. And, and there's, again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just individual preferences. But for me, I agree with you, Jesse. This worked for me on every level. I never felt like the time dragged. I never felt the three hours-ness of this movie, except for when I had to go to the bathroom. Um, but other than that, it totally sang for me, man. Totally sang. All right, next up. Uh, Danito writes, Alfred's explosion scene was the best, in my opinion. Phone ringing, Bruce yelling, speeding, fireproof. An hour ago, the music, Pattinson acting, perfect. And again, a really nice little misdirect, again, by Matt Reeves, with the fact that we thought the phone call was happening in real time. He's trying to call, and we see Alfred picking up the package. And then we see the old maid pick up the phone. We think all this is happening in real time. But it wasn't happening in real time. And again, just another great little touch by Matt Reeves to always keep us as the audience on our toes in that. I thought that was well, well done. All right. Uh, out of Time, 1985 writes, To me, even though this is a grounded take, it feels like the animated series Batman. The Gordon slash Batman relationship, the music, the, goth the gothic elements. Well, here's the thing. I don't think you're wrong. But I think it goes further than that. Like, I recognize Robert and I talked about this when we were coming out of the theater uh, after we saw it together, that it felt you could feel the influences of like seven or eight different Batman things in it, whether it was Hush or The Long Halloween or Nomad's Land or Batman the Animated Series or whatever. Like, you could feel and recognize at different points in this movie a lot. And that's what Matt Reese said. Matt Reese said he drew... Obviously, from year one, um, <clears throat> the, the year one thing was obviously there. Matt Reeves talked about this well in advance, that there are many different influences that they drew from. Definitely year one, definitely the long Halloween. But you could recognize that, and I think you're absolutely right, that the animated series was absolutely one of those things. All right. Uh, next up, Virtuoso. Virtuos writes, I loved it. I might even like this movie more than The Dark Knight, but my girlfriend found it to be slow with too much tell, not enough show. 
And again, to each their own, right? That's why all films are subjective. Every movie is a piece of art, and art hits every single individual in a different and unique way. And if for your girlfriend it felt slow, she was she's not wrong. That's was her experience. And that's fine. That's why, listen, the very first thing that we said coming out of our first screening of the Batman was, this movie is not for everybody. You, you shouldn't expect everybody to like this movie. It's going to work really well for some of us, and it's not going to work for others. And there's nothing wrong with that, Virtuos. All right, next up, City of Swift writes, I went to the link uh, in the end credits, and the message was, be sure to drink your, your Ovaltine. Is that what it was, really? I had no idea. All right. Next up, Out of Time also writes, Also, people in my theater were cheering and clapping at a few scenes. When the Batmobile uh, was revealed... Sorry, I got to take care of that. Uh, when the Batmobile was revealed, uh, when the wingsuit was used, when Batman was revealed for the first time and at the very end. Yeah, listen, I've the, my first screening of it was there was a lot of enthusiasm. A lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. That's one of the reasons why, to me, like nothing beats the movie-going experience. Nothing beats it. Like, uh, John, you don't get it. I have a 65-inch surround sound system. I don't care. Your 65-inch surround sound system at home is dog shit. I have a pretty good system, too. It's dog shit. Nothing compares to the movie-going experience. I wouldn't have had as good of a time watching the Batman if it was at home in my fucking living room, the same place that I sit down to watch, you know, Family Guy. It, it just wouldn't have been the same experience. But being in that theater with all those people, feeling that tension and that joy and that excitement and that terror and that shock and that surprise and the cheers and the gasps, that's part of the movie-going experience. And you can't replicate it at your fucking house. And that's one of the reasons why I just love this thing so much. All right. Uh, next up, City of Swift writes, did anyone else get the vibe uh, from the don't I know you from somewhere guy that faded into the shadows at the funeral that he killed the Waynes? There was a little, like, I had to double check for a second because I'm like, what? Was that the same? I know it's not, but I, I will, I have to admit to you, the first time I saw the movie and that guy was, I'm like, is that the same guy who played Joe Chill in Batman Begins? I don't think it was. I don't think it was. But I'm like, I'm like, yeah, was that the same guy who played Joe Chill? Like, it, it was kind of there. So no, I don't think it was. But I mean, yeah, it did definitely kind of give have that kind of uh, feel to it. It had that feel to it. All right, City of Swift writes. My favorite scene was definitely the opening monologue and him ultimately emerging from the shadows. Uh, it sure had me scared, and I wasn't even there. Oh, dude, listen. Well, first of all, okay. Okay. I Let's be clear here. I love that scene when the gang's about to beat up that dude, and all you hear is thump, thump, thump. It's the very slow walking of Batman's heavy boots coming out of the shadows and like, ooh, you guys about to get fucked up. Like, right? Like, watch... And, but the second time I watched it, right, I watched it, I was like, hey, Batman, um, maybe you want to do more than walk slowly because these guys are about to really hurt this dude. <laughs> like this this innocent citizen is pinned up against this cage. They got a knife to his throat and they're about to hurt him really badly. 
maybe you could speed this up a little. Maybe, maybe come, maybe, maybe go instead of boom, boom. How about boom, 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 boom? I don't know. Maybe you get there a little bit faster before they hurt the guy. I'm just saying, like whatever. But the scene was so good because as he comes out of those shadows, man, like that was like here's Batman. This this is our new Batman, ladies and gentlemen. This is our new Batman. Anyway, loved it. Absolutely loved it. All right. Uh, next up, City Swift also writes. It's interesting. Uh, after having seen seen three times in a row. I want to see it again. I enjoyed it. The end could have been smoother. Three hours flew by. I, again, yeah, to me, I did think the, I, it never felt like three hours to me other than to my bladder. I did have to, like, the second screening, I timed it better so I didn't have to leave to go to the bathroom. But the first time I had actually had to walk out for a minute to use the bathroom. Other than my bladder, this didn't feel like a three-hour movie to me. But it, it did feel like it was a bit too long. I thought there was probably some decisions that could have been made to shorten the runtime of the film. And I wasn't a huge fan of the second half of the third act. And I totally didn't like that Joker scene. But other than that, this movie, it wasn't a fast paced movie, but it was a well paced movie. Let me say that again. The Batman isn't a fast paced movie, but it is very much a very well paced movie. And I thought it had a cadence to it. I always felt like the story was moving forward. I didn't feel like there was a lot of wasted screen time, maybe a little thing here and there, but really not much. I, I didn't feel the three hours of it, to be honest with you. All right. Uh, next up, Remmer Bulldog writes, Hey, John, I love the Batman. A couple of minor issues towards the end. You can fill the runtime. You can probably, you meant to say, you can feel the runtime. And I felt like the third act was a mixed bag. I still thought they stuck the landing, though. Oh, yeah. And that's key, right? Again, I myself thought there were a couple of questionable decisions made in the third act. Yeah. But there was also a lot of strengths in the third act. Like, a lot of strengths. A lot of big highlight moments. And you're absolutely right. You stuck the landing. They stuck the landing. That ending where, like, he potentially sacrifices himself to save the people from below from getting electrocuted, the, him going down and leading people out, likened unto Moses, leading the Hebrews out of Egypt, the, the, the hope with the woman at the end, the farewell and goodbye. Come on. I was not the only guy. Come on. I was not the only guy who when Batman and Catwoman were riding on their motorcycles beside each other at the end of the movie and they're getting ready to go in their separate ways, I'm not the only guy who in my head I was thinking, it's been a long road without you, my friend, and I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. Come on. I wasn't the only guy who had that song in his head. Come on. As Vin Diesel and Paul Walker, I'm sorry, as Batman and Catwoman were riding side by side, and then they get to the split in the road, and Catwoman goes one way, and Bruce goes the other way, I was not the only guy who had that song in his head. Come on. It was Todd. You totally had that song in your head. Don't pretend that you didn't. Uh, anyway, yes, but they, they totally nailed the ending of this movie. They absolutely did. All right. Okay, next up. We got, remember, Bulldog also writes, uh, the action was great. The mystery was great. The visuals and cinematography was beautiful. Also, the acting was great as well. I'm telling you what, Remmer, this, this movie is a check, 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 check. 
right down the long line, right? Check, 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 check. I mean, acting, cinematography, story, direction, visuals, pacing. I mean, every, it was just they just it was such a great movie, such a great movie. <laughs> uh, Kalido just said in the live chat, the bat and the furious. I like that. I'm going to remember that from now on the bat and the furious. All right. Jesse writes, love the running bit of the twins answering the door to the club. So did I, that was a really great callback every time those guys just couldn't seem to catch a break by the end. You're feeling bad for those guys. Like you're just at this point, you're just feeling sorry for them. Right. At that point. By the time the third time it happens and their faces continually start to get more and more damaged every time you see them, like at some point you start to feel bad for these guys. All right. Oscar Roswell writes, this movie was too long and boring for me, but I'm so glad most people seem to enjoy it. And listen, Oscar, see, that is the right attitude for a film fan. A A true film fan wants everybody to love what they see, even if it's something you didn't like. Too much of our film fandom is filled with toxic individuals who hate something and want all of you to hate it too. And they'll spend all their days and nights trying to convince you to hate what they hate. I hate this, so I want everybody to hate it. You know what I hate? I hate the Star Wars prequels. I hate the prequels. But you know what? I want everybody to love them. I want people to love them. I I mean, I don't personally. But when people write into me and they say, you know, I watched, uh, I I don't know, uh, Attack of the Clones. And I mean, I love that movie. It works for me. I'm like, that's awesome. I celebrate that you like that. I don't, but that's okay. Too many elements and too many people in the fan community hate and then they want other people, they will spend their lives trying to convince other people to hate what they hate. But you have the right attitude, Oscar. You're like, you know what? I watched it. I watched the Batman and it wasn't for me. You know what? I'm super happy that so many people watched it and enjoyed it. That is the right attitude for a healthy film fandom. Being able to say, you know what? This one wasn't for me. Didn't work for me. The pacing didn't work for me. I personally found it a little bit boring, but that's just me. But you know what else? I'm glad other people liked it. I'm glad my fellow film fans watched that and enjoyed it. And I'm not going to yuck on your yum. I'll tell you it wasn't for me. Super glad that you did. That's the right attitude, Oscar. We don't need more people agreeing with each other. What we need is more people like you who don't have the the popular or the common or the the widespread opinion, but are super happy that other people enjoy it. That's the right attitude, my friend. We all need to learn from you on that. All right, next up, Remmer Bulldog writes. uh, Remmer writes, I love how... Uh, they made the Riddler like horror villain. Uh, definitely got Jigsaw vibes from that. That's a very good comparison, Remmer. That's a great comparison. Definitely got Jigsaw vibes uh, with the, the riddles and the way he killed some of his victims. Like the one in the funeral scene with the neck bomb. Yeah, there was very much like everyone or the guy with the rats on his head. There was absolutely a Saw influence in this movie. Absolutely. But, dude, just from that opening moment, when he's in the mayor's house, he's in the darkness, and then that one little bit of light comes on, and you realize he's standing there in the shadows. And then even that guttural scream he does when he attacks the mayor, and he like he's he like very violently murders the guy. Like it it was straight. I I compare it 
I mean, there are definitely horror elements. I see where you're coming from. To me, it's more like the serial killer of the 90s, the 90s serial killer movies, right? Like I had that and it was just like, this movie let you live under no misconceptions here. This movie was going to be violent and brutal. And I mean, everybody, people overuse the word gritty, but gritty. And they let you know right from the beginning of this movie, this is the movie you're in for right now. And it was, whoo, and you're absolutely right. Absolute uh, 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 jigsaw vibes, no doubt. All right. Danito writes, surprised to find out Christian Bale was four years younger in Batman Begins than Pattinson is now. Always thought they were going with a younger version. Well, this is a younger version compared to the bat, the bat, the Ben Affleck Batman. This is a younger version of that because how old is Robert Pattinson now? Hold on a second. Um, how old is Robert Pattinson? Because I think he's like thirty-four. Hold on a second. He's thirty-five. Yeah, so Pattinson isn't like some kid anymore. Pattinson's thirty-five years old. So. They went with a younger version compared to the Ben Affleck Batman, uh, not in any comparison to what the Christian Bale Batman was. But yes, you're right. Robert Pattinson still feels like a younger guy compared to what Christian Bale was in the Batman or in uh, the Dark Knight movies. He does. All right. Next up. Remember Bulldog writes, uh, this is what a Batman movie is supposed to be dark and gritty and so grounded. Also love how they lean into the detective side of him. I will disagree with you on saying this is what a Batman movie is supposed to be. I think there are many different iterations of Batman in the comic books and animation and stuff like that. There are many different iterations of the character. And you can make an argument that there are many different ways that the Batman is supposed to be portrayed. I would say this, though. For the image of the Batman that I grew up with, like my main basis for my understanding of Batman growing up was Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. That was that comic kind of established the foundation of what my understanding of who and what Batman is. And then even in you know, like everything I read of Batman post that, that's kind of the way I saw him. So I would say that this Pattinson Batman is the Batman movie that I always kind of pictured wanting. But there are many other ways to do Batman as well. More fantastical ways to do Batman that would have been very accurate to certain comic iterations of the character as well. So, I uh, yeah. I But for me, it was definitely that, Remmer. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Sam Fisher, who writes... I thought this movie was excellent. Pattinson was great, but Farrell and Turturro stole the show. And you write, can't wait for this for Circus to kick ass. Yeah, I cannot wait to see this Andy Circus, uh, Butler, Alfred, absolutely wreck some fools. I am totally in for that. I don't care if he's walking on his little cane. I want to see this Alfred wreck some fools. I want to see that so bad. And yeah, look, you can't say enough about Colin Farrell. I said it before, before seeing this movie, I'm like, okay, they're going to do a Penguin series? That's interesting. Now I'm dying to see this series. And John Turturro was great as uh, Carmine. All right, next up, Sam Fisher also writes, I thought the Bat and Cat had great chemistry. I loved that every fight they had uh, just had undertones of flirtiness. Oh, yeah, there was definitely sexual tension even in the fights. But I also loved the fact that, make no mistake, Catwoman can go out there and wreck a lot of people. 
But this is Batman. And I love the fact that when they fought in the mayor's house, that there was no, that, that fight wasn't close. It's like, yeah, you're Catwoman and you're lethal and you're deadly and you can take out a lot of people. But this is the Batman. And they made no misconceptions about that, that Batman's on another level. And he always was with everybody else in this movie. And I kind of like that. All right. Sam Fisher also writes, I love that except for maybe Andy Serkis. This is one of those movies where no, no one is cast how anyone would think, but everyone is cast perfectly. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Nobody, like when you picture what will Jim Gordon look like, you don't think of Jeffrey Wright. When you think of a penguin, you certainly don't think of Colin Farrell. When you think of Carmine Falcone, I wouldn't have thought John Turturro. And if you had asked me before they announced Robert Pattinson as Batman, who do I think could be Batman? If I had given you a hundred names, Robert Pattinson wouldn't have been one of the names. But then once they announced Jeffrey Wright, I'm like, oh my God, he's going to be a great Gordon. And when they announced Robert Pattinson, it's like, I never would have thought of that name, but you know what? He's an awesome actor. He's going to do really well. Uh, but with Colin Farrell, I was still like, wait a minute, what? Colin Farrell is going to be the penguin. And then we saw images of him. I'm like, what? What? You're not, you can't tell me that's Colin Farrell, but it was Colin Farrell. You're right. Everybody except for Andy Serkis, which you could instantly see as Alfred. Uh, all the rest of them really wasn't that. And that's why, that's why I always tell people when they say, who do you think should play whatever? I say, I don't do the X actor and X role game because I haven't read the script. I don't know what they're going for in whatever movie, whatever iteration of that character they're trying to do is. All I've got in my head is my own you know, preconceived notions of what these characters are, but I haven't read the script. And so all I ask is that when you cast people in a movie, just get very talented performers. That's all I ask. And then I'll leave it to the director to know if it's a good fit or not, because I haven't read the script and they have. Because you're right. I think with almost every casting in this movie, you could have gone, what? 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 But as long as they get talented performers and all of them were, Colin Farrell, John Turturro, um, uh, Zoe Kravitz, uh, uh, Robert Pattinson, you know, across the board, they did such a good job and that's why it worked. All right, Sam Fisher also writes, I love that this movie at the end seems to adapt Long Halloween's Fall of the Mob and Rise of the Supervillains. But actually, I got more of a uh, quarantine, no man's land um, kind of vibe from the ending of it. Especially when you understand like Penguin's role. Like as Penguin is standing over a city that they say the National Guard are about to come in and take over. Um, definite no man's land kind of vibes from that, but definitely some of the long Halloween and there's a lot of different influences in there. All right. Sam Fisher also writes, I love all the references like calling Batman Zorro. That was pretty funny. Isn't Thomas Wayne treating Falcone for a gunshot wound also right out of long Halloween? Oh, you know what? I never even put that together. I never even put that together. And by the way, somebody else wrote in earlier on the show about how the kid in the gang, but I don't know if this is true, but somebody else wrote in earlier because I've tapped out on, like I watched Titan season one and then I gave up on it. But somebody else wrote in the show that the kid in the gang with only the half face paint is the same actor who plays 
what would they say? Damian Wayne or Tim Drake? I can't remember which one it was in in Titans. And it's like just it just seems like if, if that is true, it just seems like Matt Reeves was going to connect a lot of dots from a lot of different sources and influences. And I think that was one of the strengths of it. Ethan Bradbury writes. Uh, not excited about Keegan's Joker. The laugh was weak. Oh, listen, then you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, if you think uh, the laugh is what makes the Joker, I'll, I'll be frank with you. I don't think Heath Ledger's Joker laugh was very good, but it's irrelevant. He was an awesome Joker. Uh, Barry Keegan is a really good performer, and it all depends on what they want to do with the character and where they go. Uh, again, I just don't think they should have put him in there at the end, but I think he will be he will be great he is a very very talented actor all right next up remember bulldog writes uh the car chase sequence was fantastic the way they introduced the batmobile for the first time in the movie was breathtaking we've gone over this several times but absolutely penguin looking down that at dark alley seeing the silhouette of the car the lights come on the revving of the engine it was like something right out of his horrid, most horrific nightmares and they brought it to brilliant life remember remember also writes uh, this might be the most grounded comic book movie I've ever seen. It's not going to be uh, for everyone, but it's definitely for me. I don't know that it was the most grounded comic book movie I've ever seen. Um, remember, this movie was so dark, it was almost not grounded. You know what I mean? Like, it went beyond recognizing the darkness in some of our city streets and it went way beyond it but this is gotham this is a fictional city and so they were really making it come to life so but it's just that they did such a good job with how dark this film was it almost loses some of its groundedness a little bit you know what i mean but that's not necessarily a bad thing it actually worked for this movie very well okay uh let's see here Sam Fisher writes, one of two. The third act was disappointing. I get you need a grand finale, but this movie wasn't really an action movie. It was a 90s psychological thriller. Uh, Neo-noir, so I wish the end was a battle of wits and not a giant fight with imposters. Doesn't ruin the movie for me. Uh, not like act, act three of Wonder Woman. Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> that's, that's part of the thing for me too, Sam. The third act, the, I should say the second half of the third act, again, felt a little bit out of place. That wasn't the kind of movie this was. And again, having the big final battle, being Batman against a bunch of faceless no-names, almost felt... I'm not going to say it felt anticlimactic, but it... It was missing something, right? Because you're right, up until that moment, that wasn't really what this kind of movie was. Now, if Riddler, if we had seen that Riddler had like one monstrous kind of friend, and then that friend who was tied into the rest of the film ultimately becomes the big physical showdown that Batman had to have at the end, that would have fit a little bit more into the movie. But rather having Batman now having to confront a bunch of people that we've never seen in the movie who are literally just a bunch of online faceless no-names in a sequence that felt a little bit out of place. Again, I'm, I'm sounding like I hated the second half of the third act. I didn't. I did not hate the second, half of the, third, the second half of the third act. I'm just saying it was a little bit out of place and out of step with the rest of the film. So, but whatever, they nailed the landing. 
of it. Once you got past a certain point, they absolutely nailed the landing. And I agree with you, even though I thought they made some questionable decisions in that section of the movie, it didn't ruin the movie for me. It didn't take away from the movie for me. Um, and it's still, and it's not like it didn't narratively make any sense, which would have been far worse. So yeah, that's kind of my take on it. All right. Sam Fisher writes again, one of two. Why did no one ask where the greeting cards came from? That seems like a legitimate uh, lead that they didn't run down. My complaint could have uh, actually been fixed with the line of ADR from a forensic tech said, the greeting card is a dead end. Uh, you can find them at any convenience store. Here's the thing, Sam. I'm going to disagree with you on that because I don't think we needed an ADR of somebody saying that. I think all of us in the audience knew it's a greeting card that could have come from anywhere. Right. I don't think we needed to he, he like it was it's such common sense that I don't think we needed an explain-o vision voiceover saying what I think most of us in the audience already kind of knew. Which was just as you just said, it it's it's a greeting card. It could have come from any corner store in any city, anywhere in the country. And I don't think they needed to explain that. That's just kind of my take on that. All right. Um Let's see. Next, Josh Kahn writes, just got out of my second viewing. It didn't hit as well as the first. There wasn't very much new I picked up with the with the mystery slash story. It's still a it's still good, uh, but I think once is enough for this movie. A seven point five out of ten. Now, I don't disagree with you. I like when I went to go see it a second time. I didn't really get anything new out of it, but that's perfectly fine. Um, I didn't go there to get something new out of it. I just went to go have that experience again. So it didn't take anything away from me at all. Like I watch like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars a thousand times. I don't notice new things at this point, but I just love the experience. It's, it's like having good sex, right? I mean, pardon, pardon me getting a little grody here, but I think the illustration is apt. It's like <clears throat> you're having good sex. You don't need to discover something new. Perfectly good with the same experience I had last time because that experience was awesome and I'm very good with it again. You don't need it for it to be something new. Um, so, uh, yes, so there, there is that. Uh, but I agree with you. I didn't get anything new out of the second viewing, but I didn't need anything new. I just wanted to have that experience again. And the experience again was every bit as good as I remembered it from the first time. So, and hey, uh, that's just the way it is for me. But you had, that's, that was your experience, Josh. I totally respect that. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, Sam Fisher writes, this movie also needed to be 30 minutes shorter. I don't think it needed to be 30 minutes shorter. I mean, I think it could have been cut down, but I don't think it needed to be 30 minutes shorter. You know what I'm saying? All right. Josh Connell also writes, also, they gave away uh, all the action in the trailers. Um, no, they showed a bunch of the action in the trailers. So? I, I mean, for me, that didn't take away, um, that didn't take away a simple, um, a, a, that didn't take away a single bit of thrill or excitement from the scene. So I, I don't think that's a detriment to it. So anyway, that's just me. All right. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, Josh. Remember Bulldog writes, uh, my issue with the third act was that when he's fighting these nameless Riddler followers, to me that you felt out of place, action was still good though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The action was still good. I mean, that's why I'm saying like, while a, a lot of the creative decisions in the second half of the third act felt out of place, you know, didn't really fit, 
um, it wasn't. It still wasn't bad because they still did a lot of good things in it. The action was still fantastic. Um, the self-sacrifice of Batman was still there. The leading people, that's where Batman gets his epiphany that I need to be more than just the person who's going to take vengeance on those who would do wrong. I also have to be a symbol of hope for those people in the city who need it. I need to be both. All of that came out of the second half of the third act too. So the second half of the third act still works for me. It's just that it didn't work for me nearly as well as the rest of the film. But, you know, and then they completely nailed the, the landing too. All right. Johnny Weiner writes, uh, what can I say about the Batman that has not been said before? It's my third favorite Batman movie behind Begins in the Dark Knight. I will say that I wish they could have changed, uh, they could have changed a different voice for Batman, uh, like Bale and Affleck. I mean, yeah, I mean, at this point, what do you, I don't know what you do with Batman's voice. I mean, other than Arrow on the CW did, had a, had a good solution for this where they actually said Arrow had a voice modulator attached to his throat. And, but, but other than doing that, what are you supposed to do? Like, you sound like you sound. And the only thing you can do otherwise is to maybe make it a little grittier, a little darker, a little, uh, like, I, I, I don't know what else they're supposed to do. So it's, it was still fine for me. It's not really something I take issue with at this point. All right. <clears throat> Uh, let's see. Where are we at here? Johnny, that was Johnny Weiner. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Sam Fisher who writes, I don't know who this new, uh, this newcomer they got to play Penguin was, but I hope he gets more work and we see a lot more of him. Who was that guy? Again, it's crazy. I see pictures of Colin Farrell and you never would have known that was Colin Farrell. You watched the movie. If you didn't know that was Colin Farrell, you never would have guessed Colin Farrell. Like if they hadn't, if they, if it wasn't public knowledge that the Penguins being called, wasn't being played by Colin Farrell, you would have gone through that whole movie and then somebody would ask, so who was that Penguin guy? You all would go, I don't know, some newcomer, never seen him before. Like that's how crazy good he was in this. It's absolutely nuts. All right, next up, Johnny Weiner writes, what can I say about the Batman Williams? Didn't we already get this? <clears throat> Yeah, already got that one. Okay, uh, next up, Sam Fisher writes, I think in the sequel, we will get the playboy Bruce Wayne because I think he will see it as a necessary evil and he does seem to have hope again. I mean, again, like, look, that's why I said. The reason I still kind of prefer the Ben Affleck, not from Justice League, but from Batman versus Superman, the reason I still maybe prefer the Ben Affleck Batman and his iteration of Batman in Batman versus Superman is that because him and Zack Snyder, Affleck and Snyder understood the duality of Batman, who is the true individual, and the mask of Bruce Wayne. But there is a duality there. There's a dichotomy. And in this Batman movie, this Batman hasn't figured that out yet. Like, the Bruce Wayne at the funeral still acted 100% exactly like Batman. Right. There was no duality yet. And that's something that Snyder and Affleck understood in Batman versus Superman. And that's why I said a little bit earlier, I think that's something we can see this Batman evolve as he becomes a little bit more experienced as Batman. But we'll see which way they go with that. All right. Remember, Bulldog also writes, I would give this an 8.5 out of 10. That's a good score. I mean, I don't give numerical scores to movies, uh, but that sounds like a pretty darn good score, man. All right. Uh, let's see. Sam Fisher writes. 
I guessed right away that the rat was Falcone. I thought it was either Penguin under Falcone's orders or Falcone himself because Falcone hates Maroney. Yeah, I mean, anybody under who who's familiar with the mythology of Batman and the and the underworld of Gotham and stuff like that, they know, hell, even if you just watch Gotham, you knew Falcone and Maroney don't like each other. Um, so I think there was only really two options. It was either Penguin or it was Falcone. Although Matt Reeves, again, did a good job of making some people think that maybe the Batman himself was the rat. <clears throat> the way the clues were being given out, uh, the way the clues were being done, that maybe Batman could have been the rat, uh, yes or no. But but again, I think a lot of people also figured it was probably either Falcone or Penguin himself. All right, next up, Miguel Cabrera writes in, um, I enjoyed the movie overall. I love a good detective thriller. The pacing of the movie was just so slow. I don't agree. I actually love the third act, but I was ready for the movie to be over by then. See, I never felt, I never thought the movie was slow. I thought it had a definitive cadence to it and the story was, oh, see, here's, to me, a movie starts to feel slow when 15 minutes pass and you don't feel like you're any further on in the story than you were 15 minutes ago. It doesn't matter if you have flashes and bangs and explosions and action and jokes and all that kind of stuff. If like 15 to 20 minutes of the movie passes and you don't feel like we're any further ahead in the narrative than we were 15 or 20 minutes ago, to me, that's a slow movie. This movie, though, I can, I feel like every five or 10 minutes we were moving ahead in the story. The story kept evolving and progressing as we were going. And because of that, I mean, just for me personally, I never felt like the movie was slow. I respect that to you, it did. But, you know, you and I had a different experience with that, and that's fine. But that's why, for me, it never felt like it was slow. All right. Remember Bulldog writes. Uh, and one more thing. Uh, the action was filmed beautifully. No shaky cam, no quick cuts. They used the wide takes you can see every fight sequence. The only time that wasn't true was when we were supposed to experience the action from the perception of what the villains were feeling. Here's an example. When Batman is attacking Falcone's headquarters and there's the power's gone out and the, the, uh, the lights in the hallway are completely dark and Batman comes out of that elevator and the only time you see anything is when the, the muzzle flashes of the guns are going off, right? That was the one action sequence where we as the audience didn't get a clear look at the action. But I, we'd already gotten a lot of that in the movie. So by the time we got to this point, I was totally okay with it because I felt like we were now experiencing the action from the perception, the horrific perception of the bad guys with the guns and how chaotic and nightmarish that must have felt to them. So that's the one time that I felt like it didn't do that, but I, thought it, I felt like it was for a purpose. All right, uh, Johnny Weiner writes, uh, one more thing uh, that bothers me is that they overuse the word vengeance a lot. I mean, he has a name, right? Uh, pointing ears and a bat symbol doesn't uh, leave a clue. Um, I don't know. I look, it's just that Penguin referred to him as Mr. Vengeance a couple of times. So that was Penguin. And then Catwoman kind of used it in a mocking kind of playful way. What do you say, vengeance, right? I thought it was, look, in a three-hour movie, the name was probably referenced five times maybe five times so i don't know i was, I was kind of fine i was kind of cool with it 
I, yeah, I didn't personally, I, I didn't feel it, but you did, Johnny. So maybe if I watch it a third time, maybe that'll stand out to me a little bit more too. I'll, I'll keep an eye open for that. Thanks for putting that out there. All right, Sam Fisher writes, I think we are all under no illusion. Uh, that was Barry Keoghan as Joker. Well, yeah, everybody knows that. Hope this means that we'll see war of jokes and riddles. I love that story. Well, I don't think, look, just the very fact that a character was there means anything, Right. Even this movie was not The Long Halloween. This movie was not Year One. This this movie was not No Man's Land. This movie was not whatever. It was a giant amalgamation of a whole bunch of different influences brought into one thing. If you're setting yourself up to hoping that we're going to get this one particular story told in the next Batman movie, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment. I think Matt Reeves is going to tell an original story that draws from a lot of different influences. So you might see flavors of that in there, but we'll see where they go with it. All right. Remember, Bulldog writes, I would love to see Joaquin Phoenix Joker and Robert Pattinson's Batman in the same movie together. Fuck no. Fuck, fuck, fuck no. Fucking no. No fucking way. Fuck no. No. Take take that goddamn every fucking single thing has to have shared cinematic universe. And get that out of here, Remmer. Get it out. I'm giving you a hard time, brother. I'm, 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 I'm just riffing on you a little bit here. But get that bullshit out of here. Fuck no. God damn, why does everything have to be? Not everything has to be a crossover. Everything. No. No, no, no. Uh, by the way, that Joker would be 60 or 70 years old by the time Robert Pattinson, or by the time Bruce Wayne is this age. So I'll say, no. <laughs> no. And again, I'm you and I are, are, are fellow film lover and brothers, Remmer. That's why I'm giving you a hard time. I'm, I'm just ripping on you a bit here. But, but God, no. No. All right. Sam Fisher writes, um, uh, I love that this movie uses Ave Maria for more than just, look, I'm listening to opera. Look how cultured I am song. No. And then you find out as the movie progresses. First of all, the very fact that it's playing during that opening is, is, is menacing and creepy all in the same time. But then when you find out the how it all ties into everything, it's not just a random song that they pick to use in the movie. You realize it has the direct ties in to that moment. When Riddler, as a child, that that song was playing during that big pivotal moment, and that has kind of now become his theme, his anthem, if you will. And then, man, when he starts going into that, that's when he's in prison and he's talking to Batman. The very fact that he then goes back saying Ave Maria, like I'm like, oh my god, this is creepy and awesome and incredible. I loved that, Sam. All right, next up. Uh, 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 Narv, Narvina, uh, Narvina Cyril writes, hope I didn't get your name wrong. Don't lose your head, Mr. Colton, uh, Paul effing Dano. I mean, yeah, I mean that whole scene again. And by the way, um, why am I freezing on the, the guy's name? Um, he was in Ant-Man. I had it on, on my, like, now I got to bring it. Peter Skarsgård. Peter Skarsgård is a district. I love Peter Skarsgård. I think he's so great uh and man <laughs> that was a different thing i love peter skarsgård he is so great uh using him in that moment <laughs> was so wonderful i got skarsgård confused with anyway um so good and that whole thing again it was, it was a very jigsaw moment i loved it all right next up sam fisher writes I love that when this movie has no dialogue, it really sits in G. Kino's score. You can just feel the dread or whatever feeling that he's trying to elicit. Listen, 
There, the moments like let's even go back to that scene that's in the trailer when Batman is in the crime scene room with all the cops, right? There is dialogue in that scene, but there's also long moments of silence. And the way Matt Reeves coordinates which shots to use, the motion that is used, and the way it's paired up with G. Kino's score, there is so much being communicated when there's silence in the movie. It works very, very well. All right. Uh, Patrick O'Connell writes, the way they showed Batman circling around slowly in the crime scene, I was just mentioning that, um, scene of the first victim, it was nothing short of perfection. The tension also between Bats and the GCPD was so thrilling. Now, I, listen, they established so much in that scene, man. First of all, it was like, we've got the Batman being the detective. He's freaking Sherlock Holmes. He's going through... And he's picking out every detail. He's noticing every little thing. Like even the forensic photographer, like, oh, Batman noticed something. And she walks over. I better take a picture of that. Click, right? The whole, like all that stuff. But they're communicating so much that there's an awe and reverence about Batman. There's a distrust of Batman. There's a fear of Batman. Like all of this was being wrapped up in that one scene that I just thought they did such a great moment. It's such a pivotal scene in the movie, Patrick. All right, next up, Sam Fisher writes, I love that this Batman doesn't just make one mistake, but he made a series of mistakes, especially during his escape from G- GCPD. He made like four in a row. Listen, that's one. Of, like, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. That truly is one of the great things about this movie to me was the fact that Batman is only in year two. He is not the perfect Dark Knight yet. Because not only are a lot of like low-level criminals, like when he's in a fight against five or six guys, still able to get their shots in on him, <clears throat> he doesn't like. And obviously, the movie shows he's incredibly intelligent, but he's he hasn't exactly perfected his detective skills yet either. Because he comes to some conclusions in the movie that are wrong, and then he later figures that out. But but we see in this movie an unfinished Batman. And Matt Reeves always said that's what he's going for here, that this is not the Batman who has become the grizzled, experienced, war-hardened Dark Knight that a lot of us picture and envision. He is a Batman that's still in process. And throughout the movie, they show us that he is brilliant and that he is skilled, but he's still flawed. And I thought that was a key to this. All right, next up, Miguel Cabrera writes, this Batman is the best detective we've gotten out of the Batman we've seen in the movie so far, yes. Uh, But I'm hoping his fighting improves. I don't feel like Battenson was the martial artist Batman is supposed to be yet. And again, and by the way, again, he wasn't the perfect detective. He uh, He made some assumptions that turned out to be wrong. And even at the end, Paul Dano, Riddler says to him, Oh, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. And Batman's really like, oh, shit, I missed something. Or even the uh, La Rattata or whatever the thing was, like the fact that that Penguin had to be the one to point out to him that he was wrong in, in, in the way he was approaching the cipher, right? So he was a brilliant detective. He was picking out things that the cops were missing like crazy, but he wasn't the world's greatest detective yet. In year two, he's not yet the world's best detective. He would still have some flaws and made some mistakes, and I thought that improved the movie. I thought that was great. All right. Uh, Let's see. Sam Fisher writes, Geo, does Falcone actually mean Falcon? 
I don't think so. I could be wrong about that. I should know that, but I actually don't know. But it sounds like Falcon. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got uh, Narvina Cyril writes, I love how something in the way represented Bruce's frustration with his crime fighting effect, not going the way he wants it to in the end and in the end realizes he shouldn't be Gotham's vengeance, but his hope. See, here's the thing. I don't think that was his conclusion at the end. I don't think his conclusion at the end was that he shouldn't be Gotham's vengeance. I think he realized he needed to be more. I think he realizes he needs to be that and he needs to be Gotham's hope. He needs to represent one thing to the criminals, but he also needs to represent something else to the people he's protecting. So I thought it was it was a, a thing of both and, not a either or for him at the end. But I still think that song, like you're saying, kind of represents that. All right. Miguel uh, F. Sosa Myers writes, love the mystery. The URL rata part was genius. It, it, it was. And sure enough, the first thing Anne did in the car on the way home was looking it up. And I can't remember what it what it brings you to. But that was absolute genius. And it was genius of them to use that as a part of their marketing as well. All right. Jake Vidmar writes, loved it. Just not sure how I feel about Joker. I, I hated it. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm sure Keoghan will be a great Joker. I have no doubt about it. But I felt it was totally out of place and a totally bad decision. The only truly bad decision I think Matt Reeves made in this entire movie. Because most directors, even in great movies, will make three or four bad decisions. I thought that that Joker scene at the end was a truly and the only truly bad decision Matt Reeves made. But uh, let's keep going with what you're saying here. Uh, Not sure how I feel about the Joker. While his appearance was minimal, uh, this marks the third theatrical version of Joker in six years. Love the character, but more interested in seeing uh, villains that haven't been explored as much. I knew they would bring him in at some point, though. He is Batman's biggest villain after all. Yeah, and here's the thing. I don't think you can have a truly complete understanding of Batman without a true understanding of the relationship between Batman and Joker. And I really believe that you don't have Batman isn't Batman without the Joker. The Joker, especially in the killing joke, right? Like you understand that the Joker really is the mirror image of Batman. And without that mirror image, you don't have a full picture and understanding of who Batman is. And so I have no problem that they're bringing in Joker. I'm actually all for bringing in Joker. I just didn't think that what they did at the end of this movie was the right time for it or the right place for it. And like I said, it felt, for me, it felt out of place uh, with the rest of the movie. But I'm all for them bringing him in. I'm all for them bringing him in. All right, next up, Sam Fisher writes, the ending has me super excited for that potential Arkham Asylum show that GCP uh, and that GCPD show. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know what they're doing with the GCPD show. They, the two that we know about now are, one, the Penguin series, and the other is the one that's going to revolve around Arkham. Those are the ones that we know for sure. Matt Reeves just did an interview about that. It's going to be interesting to see where they go. But I'm absolutely baller looking forward to that Penguin series now. All right, Isaac Meckler writes, The real the reveal of the Batmobile was awesome. I love the whole chase scene. 
dude again penguin looking down that alley that dark alley and then seeing the imagery of the car and those guttural vroom sounds that come out of it and it's like something out of a nightmare dude it was a brilliant moment isaac all right next up sam fisher writes uh what my dad said after i told him uh, my thought on Act 3. It would be like if the Maltese Falcon ended with the car chase and he was right. Uh, yeah, I, no, I can totally see where you're going with that. You know what? Who, what it wasn't Robert. It might have been... It might have been... Uh, why am I freezing on uh, Scott? It might have been Scott Mance said something similar. Not Robert. I think it was Scott Mance who said something similar to that. But yeah, man, he's, he's not far off. All right, next up. Uh, going to try to get in a few more here before we take another quick break. Jim X Mafia writes, John, I laughed so much when the penguin walked like a penguin when he was tied up. Dude, that was so funny. Um, also, do you think the mayor kid will be a potential to be Robin in the sequel? Okay, so again, remember how we were saying earlier that Matt Reeves knows exactly, like this movie is so violent and dark that you got to give the audience a release every once in a while with a good laugh. And so Thumb Drive, or you've got a lot of cats. Like you could hear the audience explode in laughing. You could tell the audience really needed that, right? You needed that in the story. But that moment when they zip tied his ankles and he's walking like that, I, I almost died. I think that for me was my biggest laugh. As far as the Robin thing goes, it's possible. But again, the fundamental difference between Robin and the comics and the whole reason why Dick Grayson becomes robin it had nothing to do with the circus that, that's that's irrelevant it has to do with the fact that like bruce dick lost both of his parents in a tragic act of violence and was now left alone and angry at the world the situation with this kid is completely different yes this kid lost one parent but this kid in the movie still had a loving, caring mother who was going to be there for him to guide him through his life. And that's the fundamental difference. So is it possible? It's possible. It is. I won't be shocked if that's what they do later on, but I'm going to guess it's not because, the, again, the situation is just too fundamentally different. All right. Uh, Ishmael Montoya writes, Hey, John. This is my favorite Batman, especially every time the Penguin came on screen. Dude, I love... I, this movie could have had an hour more of the Penguin, and I would have ate it up. Uh, especially every time the Penguin came on screen. Have you seen the URL uh, uh, ratalada.com, which can take a person to an actual website with riddles to solve? Again, Anne in the car looked it up as we were driving. I, I didn't look at it myself, so I haven't gone there myself. But I am definitely going to have to go and start looking at it because everybody's saying there's some pretty cool stuff at it. But yeah... Again, dude, Ismail, like what Colin Farrell did in this movie is Penguin, the way they wrote this character, and especially at the end, where you get a sense of who and what Penguin is, because, you know, honor among thieves sort of thing, there's a code with these underworld guys. And as long as Penguin has been so dedicated and faithful to Carmine Falcone, the moment he finds out that Falcone ratted even if it was against their enemy, even if it was against their biggest rival and their enemy who they hated, you're a rat. You're dead to us. I'll kill you myself. Like, I love that. Because it tells, we learn so much 
about Oz in that one moment, finding out that Falcone himself was a rat, even though he was ratting against their biggest rival and their biggest enemy, into them in that world, you don't rat. And the fact, the way he played that, it was awesome. And I cannot wait to see more. Uh, I cannot wait to see more of this character, man. I cannot wait. All right. Uh, James LH. And then we're going to take another break, guys. Uh, James LH writes, Hey, John, I won't be watching this discussion live as it will be 9 a.m. UK time, and I will be in my second viewing the Batman with my sister. More planned. Well, man, if you're still there, I hope you're having a great time watching your second viewing of the Batman and you're having a ball. Uh, we're still going to be going for a while here. Okay, guys. And with that, we are again at the top of the hour. We've been going for two hours now. If you are late to the proceedings here, at the top of every hour, we're going to take a five-minute break so I can give my voice a bit of a rest, refill our drinks, stretch my legs, give you guys a chance to use the bathroom, talk amongst yourselves. So we are now going to take another five-minute break, maybe a little bit less. So hang tight, guys. Don't go anywhere. And we will be right back with more talk about the Batman.
All right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as we took a little bit of a break there. We're going to do so again at the top of every hour. So let's get right back into it now, shall we? We're going to get things picked up here with James L.H., who writes, I love this film. Great visuals, performances, sound, music, the mix of genres, action, a mystery film. It ends with elements of a disaster movie. I mean, it, it was like what Matt Reeves accomplished here is absolutely remarkable. And I'm going to say this, not something you could have done in a shared cinematic universe movie. The events that happened here is not something that could have happened. Oh, the city starts to get flatter. Well, just have Aquaman come and have all the fish put the water out. Oh, let's have Superman come. And, but no, no, you couldn't have done this. In a, you couldn't have had this movie in a shared cinematic universe. So great to see it. And I absolutely love the way he handled it, James. Next up, Connor Dixon writes, the Batman was my first experience in IMAX and a midnight screening. Nice. I loved it and will be doing more. Finally signing up for my Cineworld card. And dude, listen, movies like this are why cards like uh, Regals Unlimited, AMC A-List, Cineworld card. I mean, if you're a movie fan, you owe it to yourself, I think, if you live near one of these theaters to sign up for one of these programs because it, it will, in the long run, save you a lot of money if you do. And I'm glad you're able to use that for that, Connor. All right, next up. Sam Fisher writes, I can see why this movie got a 15 in the UK. Absolutely. This thing is a C is a C hair away from being rated R. Most rated R PG 13 movies, most R rated PG 13 movie I've ever seen. Again, I think this movie could have been given a rating, an R rating, and I wouldn't have blinked. Like if this had been given an R rating, I would have gone. Yeah. 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 I could see that. <clears throat> but again, it highlights once again, you can do extremely dark and extremely violent and extremely visceral movie and still be PG-13. So this lamenting of when people find out that a movie's not rated R, oh no, it can't possibly get now because it's not rated R. What will I do without nipples? I, I mean, this movie proves you can be every... Is, is anybody out there saying, you know, the Batman was pretty good. If only it was a little more dark. Like, do you hear anybody saying that? Did you hear anybody saying that? Yeah, if only this movie was like, you know, dark. No, no, it, it was plenty dark, gritty, violent, visceral, all that kind of stuff. They didn't show nipples. Oh, boo-hoo. Uh, so it was perfectly good. Again, there is a time and a place for a good hard R. There absolutely is. Batman isn't it. The Batman didn't need it. And uh, yeah. All right. Next up. Uh, Darth Wayne 97 writes, the criminal seeing the signal in the sky and looking into the shadows. Amazing how Reeves set up how feared Batman is by the criminals. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the thing. We didn't we didn't need to hear the 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 criminal say to another criminal, oh, no, man, I'm not going to go down that alley now. The Batman's out tonight. He could be lurking in the shadows. We didn't need to hear that. All we had to do was see the criminal look up at the sky, see the bat signal, clearly being distraught by it, and then looking into the shadows and realizing he could be waiting there for me. It's the nightmare. And they did all that without dialogue, and it was perfectly set up. All right, next up. Uh, Jin the Jedi writes, um, Favorite DC movie by far of recent years, since I'm not a huge fan of the Snyder storylines. This is how you do dark and gritty and put the story first. 100% didn't have to be three hours. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It didn't need to be. Again, the, I, the three hours for me blew by pretty well. But 
I agree. This is a movie that could have been pared down a little to, to, I think it would have given a little bit more pep if they had edited it down a bit. Again, I'm not saying they need to remove 30 minutes or 45 minutes, but I think you probably could have taken a good 10, 15 minutes out of it. But again, to me, it never, the movie never felt like a drag. So I was okay with that. All right. Thanks for sending that in Jin the Jedi. All right. Next up. Jin the Jedi also writes, also, I know it's been done before and may be because I just saw it, but Riddler's story was almost a one-to-one copy per se of the Saw Spiral movies still worked. Um, no, I, I, I would, there were definitely, look, somebody brought it up earlier. There are definitely some similarities. There's absolutely some similarities, <laughs> but when you understand the whole thing with Jigsaw, like, I mean, Jigsaw at its essence was a man who was dying. And there was a philosophical element there too about trying to get people to understand and value the gift of life that they have, the, the life that he doesn't have much left of, right? None of that was present in this movie, right? The core essential thing about who and what motivated Jigsaw and all that kind of stuff, none of that was a part of this movie, Riddler's motivations were extremely different and extremely unique in that sense. Now, were there similarities? Absolutely. Like the whole with the, the traps and the neck bombs, that was definitely, there's definitely an influence there. But I, I wouldn't come close to saying that this was a one-to-one comparison of that because the very core fundamentals of who they were and what motivated them was completely different. So I, I wouldn't go that far, Jen, myself, personally. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, Edward Wells writes, Police commissioner, district attorney, and cops all corrupt. I find myself agreeing more with Riddler, not Batman. Well, I mean, but but here's the thing. Were they corrupt? Yes. Batman was never saying they weren't corrupt. And throughout the movie, you know, Batman, like there's, there's even one part where Commissioner Gordon says to Batman, it's like, you make it sound like they had it coming. Right? And Batman is like, well, I mean, listen, I'm just saying he's not who you thought he was, right? But in the midst of doing that, he's just straight up murdering a lot of people. That maybe somebody took a bribe and they needed to be exposed and they needed to be brought down. But did that DA, I mean, look, I I thought it was a really good moment when the DA was about to get his head blown off, right? But even in that, even though he was a guy who made some bad decisions, by the way, the other point of the movie is that even the best people can make bad decisions. Like when Alfred is telling Bruce about what his father did, it's like, yeah, your father in a moment of weakness made a wrong choice. But make no mistake, he was a good man. And like even with the the district attorney, his last act was saying, listen, yeah, I'm going to die right now. I'm going to die right now if I don't rat, if I don't tell you what this is all about. But... If I tell you what this is all about, they're going to go after my family. They're going to go after the people I love. They're going to go after my children and my wife and all that kind of stuff. So even though this this district attorney was dirty, his final act was one of a good father and a good husband trying to protect his children and his wife and his family. And I love the fact that Matt Reeves isn't afraid to go into that dichotomy. That you can be a good person and do something bad. You can be a good man and have given in in a week in a moment of weakness to, to make a bad decision that then corners you. And 
I don't think that Batman was saying these corrupt individuals don't need to be brought down. But I think what Batman's saying was he can't just go around and start killing everybody because of your personal vendetta. Right? Like, the Riddler wanted to kill Bruce Wayne for no other reason that, that Bruce was born into the family he was born into. Was that right? Was that fair? I mean, so you absolutely, you get the motivation and we identify with the, with the initial motivation of Riddler being all these people are corrupt. I got to expose the lie. But then there's a line that he crosses where he's looking to kill people simply because of who their parents were. He's looking to extract a level of vengeance on them that goes beyond what it was their crime was. And so that's kind of the dichotomy between Batman's point of view and Riddler's point of view. And why Batman is like, when they're having the conversation in the jail, and you know Riddler thought they were in it together, and Batman's like, you're effing insane. Like, no, them being dirty is not good. But what you were doing is way beyond that. Right, So there's a little bit of a there, but it does highlight again, Edward, one of the things I love about villains in good movies, good movies and villains, great villains are ones we can empathize with even just a little, whether it's Thanos or whether it's Riddler. Like, yeah, he was insane and evil and diabolical and trying to murder a lot of people, even innocent people, but we kind of get where he's coming from. He was an orphan who was wronged. He was brought up in a system that hurt him growing up and left him on the outside. And you can empathize with that a little bit, even if you don't agree with what he's doing. And those are some of the best villains. All right. All right. Uh, next up, Edward Wells also writes, this new Batman needs to learn how to duck <laughs> walking into guns and shotgun blasts isn't smart. Again, one of the things that I liked about this movie was that Batman isn't the perfect Batman yet. He's only in the second year of doing this and he has some growing to do. He's already lethal. And he's already brilliant, but he ain't perfect. And he still takes his shots and he still makes mistakes in his detective work. And that still happens because he's not infallible. And I kind of like that we're seeing that in the progression. All right. Raymond Verrata writes, "Uh, I know you don't like repeating comic verbatim uh, on comic films, but seeing Barry Keoghan as Joker sounds like a setup for the three Joker story arc. Three Jokers can happen when we already have three Spider-Men. It, no, I, I disagree with them that way. I don't think there was anything at all in there alluding to that whatsoever. I mean, I certainly didn't catch any of that. And the three Spider-Men thing is something that they set up over the course of 20 years. Where it became a generational sort of thing. So I, I don't think there's any similarity there, Raymond, between the Spider-Man situation and Joker situation. And I don't think Hugan's just appearance in there at all was any kind of an overture towards that storyline at all. It doesn't rule it out. I mean, it, it doesn't mean it's impossible, and it's not something that excludes it by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think it's anything in the affirmative either. So I look at that a little bit differently the way you do, you do Raymond. But who knows? We'll find out in a couple of years. If they do go that way, you have every right to remind me that you said it today, March the 6th, 2022, that you called this out. So if it happens, remind me of this. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Raymond. Next what? Uh, Jin Yu Hichi writes in, this story actually fell more in line with the Batman Earth One story written by Jeff Johns. Or, uh, Jeff Johns. Uh, in, there, in there was beat for beat. Uh, with Martha's story and Alfred being the one who trained Bruce. But there have been other iterations where Alfred was the one who trained Bruce, right? 
See, that's the thing about this movie. There's nothing in this movie that is beat for beat any one other story. That's something we've talked about a lot here, Jinyu, is that Matt Reeves said from the beginning that this, like, even when you go all the way back two DC fandoms ago, when Matt Reeves on DC Fandom said, this is a story that draws from a lot of source material. And there's a lot of influences that come from it. And again, like when he pulled out the whole Martha and Arkham family thing, I said, ooh, that's a deep cut. I mean, that was definitely there. But again, I wouldn't say it's beat for beat with anything. But it's very cool that you can start to pick out those different influences that played into it. All right. Antonio Pio writes, the first 20 minutes were glorious. And that score, wow. Completely agree on both counts. The opening was near perfection. And the score throughout was absolutely brilliant, dude. All right. Jacob Hirsch writes, as you read this, I am three hours from seeing the film. Uh, I will watch this afterwards. Uh, love you all. P.S. How about that Batmite cameo? <laughs> yeah. No, no. Thank God. No Batmite. Unlike what we saw in the uh, James Gunn comic book cover. No Batmite in this one. I hope you're having a great time, though, Jacob, and that you are uh, able to get around to watching this once you're done with the film, and I hope you enjoyed yourself. All right. Dark Jedi Knight writes, I love the third act because it showed Batman it showed Batman that he can't just fight criminals but save the innocent and be a symbol of hope for them. Oh, I agree. I just think it could have been done better. I think they could have gotten I think the road between there and there could have been a, done a different way. But yes, they absolutely nailed the ending because Bruce again comes to that thing. I've just been about punishing the wicked. I have to be more. I have to be that which strikes fear. But I also have to be that which gives hope. I have to be both. And that's why I love when he says at the end, I have to be more. I wasn't doing the wrong thing up until now. But I wasn't doing everything that I should do. I need to be this and I need to be this. And that is absolutely where he needed to end up. All right. Sam Fisher writes, uh, Reeves said that the Joker at the end wasn't set up for the sequel. It was just a bit of world building. Yeah, look, I don't believe it. I, I don't think it's necessarily the case that because we saw Joker in there, that means the next movie, Joker will be the main villain. I don't think that's a that's necessarily an A to B connection. I, I, I took it as world building. I think at some point, and it could be the next movie, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. That it could be there, it could be involved with this Arkham Asylum show that we're going to be getting on HBO. It could be a lot of different possibilities. It is still possible that he's the villain in the next film, but it's also possible that it's somebody else and we just get back around to him sometime later, or we get to him in the Gotham or in the uh, Arkham Asylum series. So we'll see, we'll see where they're going to go with that. All right, next up, uh, Sam Fisher writes, Honestly, if anyone could figure out the riddle to Batman's ID, it would be Riddler. I legit thought Riddler knew until he starts talking about Bruce. Yeah, again, Matt Reeves did a great little misdirect there. He convinced me that Alfred was dead when he wasn't, and then he convinced me that Riddler knew that Batman was Bruce Wayne, and he didn't. Bruce Wayne must have done Bruce must have done a lot of different things to plant a lot of misdirects in the public and whatever that would make sure people don't figure out who he is, but. Yeah, I mean, they convinced me that Riddler knew it until revealing that he didn't know it, and that was a really good part of it. All right. Uh, uh, Renji uh, Miyayuchi writes, such an incredible movie. Robert Pattinson is my new Batman. Yeah, and listen, I don't think there's anything disrespectful. I heard somebody online say, it's disrespectful to Christian Bale to say that Pattinson is your new Batman. No, no, it's not. He is our new Batman. 
That's not that's no disrespect to any of the Batman that came before him. Just <clears throat> just like when Christian Bale came on the scene, Christian Bale was our new Batman. Right? Now Robert Pattinson is our new Batman. And he has fully taken up the mantle. That's no disrespect on anybody who's come before him at all. But Robert Pattinson damn well is our new Batman. And he's he's really taken the mantle. And he did great. And I think he's going to do more great things in the future. I just hope this bullshit I'm hearing about the next one's going to come in five years. That's bullshit. I hope that's not true. I'm not saying we have to have a new Batman movie every year. Don't get me wrong. But I hope they're smart enough to know, don't stretch this out. Give us our new Batman within the next two to three years. Don't make us wait five years for another one because that that's to me just missing out, missing an opportunity uh, to a to a huge degree. Anyway, Sam Fisher writes, I would like to say that Martha's maiden name in the comics is Kane, not Arkham. I don't know why Reeves would change. Should be pointed out that there are iterations of the Batman comics where it's not. And here's the thing. Who gives a shit what's in the comics? Right? You hear me say this all the time. Comics are the comics. The movies are the movies. Comics are the comics. Movies are the movies. I've said this before, and everybody cries and whines when I say it, but it is the absolute truth whether you like it or not. The job of a filmmaker is not to be as close to the source material as possible. Because what works on a printed page does not necessarily work on a screen. The number one job of a filmmaker is not to be as close to the source material as possible. The number one job of a filmmaker is to make the best movie possible. That's Matt Reeves' job. Matt Reeves' job is to make the best movie possible. Draw on the source material. Use what you can use from the source material. Disregard and change what you must. And he changed it because that fit his story much better. The background in this movie of what Martha's history and connection was to Arkham and all that kind of stuff, that was pivotal to his story. And the story comes first. The movie comes first. Not some blind allegiance to what may... And by the way, in the comic books, the, the, there's, the thing about the comics is what everybody forgets is that in the comic books, there have been a million variations on a million different facts a million different ways. Remember, for a long time in the comic books, the reason why Lex Luthor hates Superman is because of an accident that happened that made Lex Luthor lose his hair. Yeah, no, it's true. There was a period of time in the comics, if you want to be true to the comics, that in the comics, the reason Lex Luthor hated Superman was because he he perceives that Superman was the reason he lost his hair. His vanity and insecurity over his baldness is why he hated Superman. Now, obviously, when we understand Lex Luthor today, that had nothing to do with it. But the thing is, that's just a reflection. The Joker has several origin stories in the comics. It's everything is different. So here's there's a great line. You might have heard me say this before. When Brian Singer went to Comic-Con before Superman Returns came out. And by the way, I like Superman Returns quite a bit. I think it's a good movie. I just don't think it's a very good comic book movie. But that's a discussion for another time. But when he went to Comic-Con... Before Superman Returns came out, somebody asked him, why did you change the Superman costume? To which Brian Singer gave a brilliant answer. He said, changed from what? 
there were at that time 32 different iterations some little more major some completely minor but up until that point there were 32 iterations of superman's costume in the comic books 32 different variations some again some of the smallest tiniest detail differences some a little bit more significant so brian singer put it back to the person saying when you say why did i change the comic the the costume changed it from what there have been many different iterations of the costume in the comic book and facts about certain characters and backgrounds of characters and connections between characters in the comics many times have been changed a dozen different times in the comics so when we say why did the filmmaker change this well change from what so again sam i i think it's perfectly good because again he needs to tell his story and if the best way to tell a story was for that to be the case of the character, then to hell with what's in the comics. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. That's my t- take on it at any rate, Sam. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, uh, Renji Miyayuchi writes, I love Hans Zimmer's score to the Dark Knight trilogy, so I was really anticipating what G. Kino would do with this movie, and just, wow, I love it. Yeah, and again, I'm not, I would never sit here and say that G. Kino's score in this movie was better than Hans Zimmer's. No, no, no. Hans Zimmer's score was perfect for The Dark Knight. G. Kino's score is perfect for The Batman. Right? It's not about which one is better. Each one of them were perfect for the movies that they were for. At least that's my take on it. All right. Michael Brandy writes, A-plus film, Robert was great, epic car scene and music, a bit long and still love Batflick. I prefer Batman Begins, I never said thank you, and you never have to. Um, great moment. Again, I, we as movie fans have this irritating habit. I include myself in this. I think all of us have been guilty of this. We as movie fans sometimes have this irritating thing of when a new movie comes out, we don't we we phrase it as if the new movie has no value unless it's better than everything else that's come before it, right? Like in order to say, man, I really like this Batman movie, you have to say it's better than any of the other Batman movies. And if it's if you don't say it's better than all the other Batman movies, then you didn't really like it. And that's moronic. Like that's idiotic. And yet we do it, right? I I have been guilty of that. You've been guilty of that, whether you want to admit it or not. But I think we've all been guilty of that. And it's a really stupid habit that we have. You know, you see a new movie about mobsters, and the first question people ask, is it better than The Godfather? Well, why does it have to be better than The Godfather? A Batman movie comes out, and the first question we ask is, is it better than The Dark Knight? Well, does it need for it to be awesome? Does it have to be better than The Dark Knight? But it is what we do. So... Yes, I have to keep reminding myself, it is perfectly okay that we say we absolutely love this movie, but we don't necessarily have to say it's better than the ones that came before it. That's not an equation. Maybe we do like it better than the ones that come before it. Or maybe like you, Batman Begins is still your preferred one, but that doesn't mean you don't absolutely love this one, right? And I think that's a lesson for us because we as film fans do have a habit of doing that, Michael. All right, good on you for that. All right, Jeremy144713 writes, the only part I didn't understand is, what was the point of Batman finding the last clue since the vans were on a timer and would have exploded anyway? I think that was an example of Batman got there too late. He figured that part out too late. And I think in a movie like The Batman, us recognizing 
okay, look. First important thing. Batman didn't get to it in time. He's not the perfect detective yet. That's why Riddler said to him, oh, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. Important thing number two, he eventually does figure it out. And I think both of those points were important for us as the audience, right? That this Batman is not infallible. He was able to get most of the way, but he didn't figure out that last part in time. But he is on to the second point. He's not incompetent. He does eventually figure it out and he does get there. But it was too late to stop that part of it. And so I think that whole thing had two very important functions. One, that the Batman is not infallible. But two, he is pretty freaking brilliant and he did figure it out, but it was too late. And both of those points are valid and important to our understanding of the character. So to me, um, that was uh, that that was the point of it. There were two very important points, at least the way I interpreted it, Jeremy. All right, next up. Chase... All of us writes best bat and bat movie. Can't wait for Batman two. Oh, so you think this is the best Batman and the best Batman? Movie? Cool. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I loved absolutely Robert Pattinson as Batman. And I love this movie. And I am also with you. I cannot wait for part two. Casey Mack writes uh, to Sam Fisher's point about Martha's maiden name in the graphic novel, Batman earth one, Martha's mayor name was Arkham instead of Kane, which again is the point I was making. Casey is that, there are different iterations at different times where different characters will have different names, different origins, different backgrounds, whatever. The comics change it up all the time, so there's no reason why filmmakers can't do the same thing. But well pointed out, Casey. Well done. Uh, Casey also writes, uh, I just like the partnership between Gordon and Batman uh, in this movie. Both of them at times together trying to solve the mystery, just something the Batman movies I've been lulling for them to do absolutely the dynamic between gordon and batman in this movie is i'll say this i think it's better than the one between the gary oldman gordon and christian bale batman and the dynamic between gordon and batman in the matt uh, in the christopher nolan movies is great it is but i loved the partnership between them in this one it goes a little bit further it it, it it suggests they have a tighter bond. To me, I got the feeling that Batman saved Gordon's life at some point. Like, <clears throat> I think for for remember at one point in the movie, Gordon says to Batman, I don't trust anybody except you. That's a pretty big thing to say. So I got the impression from that without them needing to spell it out that at some point Batman really did prove himself to Gordon. Like, and I'm guessing he probably saved this Gordon's life at some point, but that's kind of my take on it. At any rate, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Next up. Casey Mack writes, my favorite part was when Batman had to escape the police and Gordon told him they hit him, uh, hit him. And later on Gordon, you could have pulled that punch. And then Batman says, I did. That was great. First of all, as I'm reaching for another, uh, drink, um, the way they were looking at each other, like Gordon being right up in Batman's grill, blah, blah, blah. But they're actually talking about, we got to get you out of here. And then they pull the camera shot to outside of the door. So you just see what the cops see. And it looks like he's really getting in his grill about it. I thought that whole sequence was done so well and really entertaining. 
And then, uh, I mean, yeah, you could nitpick there a little bit saying it was almost unbelievable how fast Batman unlocked the door. It was almost like the door wasn't locked. But whatever, he gets out, the running through there, getting up to the roof, the diving off with the with the wings. It was a great sequence. I absolutely loved it, Casey. All right, next up, uh, Elif Beirazli writes, Hello, John. I saw the Batman on Wednesday evening, and I loved it. The only thing I'd cut out of, of it was the Joker cameo. I 100% agree with you. I didn't think it needed to be there, but I'm guessing it was a studio requirement. I don't think it was a studio requirement. I, I didn't get that sense at all. Um, but again, throughout the amazingly genius, brilliant job that Matt Reeves does with this whole movie, I agree with you, Elif, that I think that was the one big glaring mistake. It felt totally jarring, and it felt, t- pardon me, totally out of pace with the rest of the movie. Um And again, it was just, we already saw this done in Batman Begins. We already had a Batman movie where they get to the end and then they hint at the Joker. Only in Batman Begins, it was the card here. He's in the prison already with things. It's like, I don't know. And it it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. But that was literally one tiny moment in the movie. One tiny moment in there. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Michael Klein just sends in a super, a $22 super chat just to be supportive. Thank you. I'm oh, sorry, M- Mitchell Klein or Keen. Is that how you spent it? Keen, K-E-I-N? Anyway, Mitchell just sends in a $22 super chat just to be supportive. Doesn't even send in a comment to be read. Thank you so much for that. It's always cool when people just want to send in things to be supportive. We appreciate that, man. Uh, next up, uh, Elif writes in again. Thinking about the vengeance theme, that's why Bats felt his mission wasn't working. It was all about vengeance. Instilling fear in criminals at night isn't enough. He also has to inspire people in the citizens of Gotham. Gotham, absolutely 100%. By the way, Elif sends in a $20 super chat on that. Thank you, Elif. Um, yes, that was absolutely key. That was, the, that was the part that he had to learn. And I think maybe that's where we're going to see the persona of Bruce Wayne really start to take shape later on. But I I mean, you're right. In the beginning of you even hear Bruce lamenting saying things have only gotten worse, but, but he is help. Like he is helping like that guy, even though he didn't really help out the guy too much. He stopped that guy from getting beat up at the beginning. So he is helping people. He is. But at that point, his one mission was to instill terror and fear into the criminals. So he was completely just focused on the criminals. He understands by the end that it's got to be more. And in that, we actually get a little bit of hints of the Dark Knight as well, right? When the whole idea, like within the Dark Knight, of Batman realizing that somebody else can be not literally Batman, but can be Batman. Harvey Dent can be the one to give hope to people. It's got to be more than just this. And we see that this Batman gets to that point by the end, that yes, I got to instill fear into the criminals, but I also have to give hope to everybody else. That's the only way I'm going to make a difference in the city. Make a real difference in this city is to be both. I think that was key. All right, next up, Elif also writes in, Beautiful ending, absolutely. Uh, Batman lighting the torch and leading the citizens of Gotham out of the darkness almost had me in tears. It was iconic imagery. 
That I mean, literally, I can make a poster out of that. Absolutely would love to make a poster out of that. Just a poster of that overhead shot of Batman leading the way in all of Gotham coming in behind him and following him out of darkness. Again, likened unto Moses leading the Hebrews out of Egypt. It was beautiful imagery, and I would totally have a poster of that on my wall. All right. Elith also writes, I've been watching your coverage of the Batman for the last two years and excited to join the open spoiler discussion with you. I'm going to go see it again tonight. I hope you have a great time when you go and see it tonight. I'm going to see it two or three more times. It's not a 7, 8, and 9, 10, 9 or 10 viewing movie for me just because it is three hours, but I'm definitely going to go see it at least two or three more times. I hope you have a great time at it. And it's amazing that this movie uh, is finally out and uh dude just so great okay uh next up uh we have where are we at miguel f sosa myers writes matt is great at world building in his films can see how he's growing as a director i study his films and world building for my own scripts uh in cinema listen you're right when you look at the stuff that well i mean when you go to the apes thing films he actually kind of inherited something but still he does a lot of work in world building. Even when you go back to something like uh, Cloverfield, the world building in that, he is showing he's really great in that. And what they he did with Gotham in this one was absolutely fantastic, Miguel. Uh, Elif writes, do you think there will be a standalone Catwoman film slash series? Maybe it would take place in Bloodhaven. I don't think so. I do think she'll be back. <clears throat> I do not sense they're setting up a standalone HBO series for her or a standalone movie for her. What I, I think the next time we see her will be in the next Batman movie. Again, I don't I don't know that. I uh, for for all I know they could totally be doing that. I don't know that. I have no insider information telling me that yes or no. But my gut feeling on this is that we will see her again, but it'll be in the next Batman movie. I don't think it'll be in her standalone thing. And then what happens after that, who knows? We'll we'll find out. All right. Uh next up Elif writes, love Zoe Kravitz in this movie. Absolutely. She did absolutely fantastic in it. All right. Elif also writes, where do you think the next uh, the next two films will go next? What villains do you think they should include? Don't don't care. Don't care. It doesn't matter what villains they use. It really doesn't. As long as they write them well. Like who going into this Batman movie would have said, you know what? You know who they should really use? Riddler. Yeah, Riddler. Nah, nobody was saying that. But it doesn't matter what villain they use as long as they write them in a brilliant way. And what Matt Reeves and his team did was they created a character that they gave the moniker the Riddler, but they wrote a brilliant character. And so because of that, it doesn't matter which character they pull out of the pantheon of Batman villains as long as they, whatever villain they pull out, they write them in a brilliant way. It can be KG Beast. It can be a, an elevated penguin. Uh, it could be a black mask. It could be, I mean, it, it, it could be Bane. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And because it doesn't matter, I don't care. What I do know is whatever character they decide to make it, it's going to be written brilliantly so brilliantly that the Riddler might have just become the best Batman villain in any Batman movie ever. Johnny, you saying he's better than Heath Ledger's Joker? No, 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 I'm not saying that, but it's in the conversation. For Riddler? 
Are you serious? For the Riddler. Riddle me this, riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black bat? That guy? Yeah, that guy. So I really don't know which direction they're going to go, and I really don't care. I, I just I just have a lot of trust that Matt Reeves is going to tell a great story, and whichever villain he chooses to pull, they're going to write a great character around that, around that IP, around that villain's name. They're going to write a great character, and I cannot wait. All right, next up, uh, Elif also writes, I'm lucky I didn't uh, didn't need a bathroom break for this film, but I'm curious to know what you told Aaron on when the perfect time was to take a break. The perfect, if you haven't seen the Batman yet, um, and if you haven't seen the Batman yet, why are you watching the spoiler video? <laughs> but if you haven't seen the Batman yet, the perfect time to take a bathroom break is the funeral scene. The reason that's the perfect time to pr- take a break is number one, because it's a little bit into the movie. But number two, it's a scene they already released online. Like they released that funeral scene, that clip online before the movie opened. And so you can watch that funeral clip. So as soon, and I told Aaron that, that as soon as you see that funeral scene start, that's when you can go and take a bathroom break. So to me, that is the, uh, that's the best time to go take a bathroom because you've already seen that scene. And it's just long enough that you can comfortably get to the bathroom, use it, wash your hands, walk casually back to the theater and still be back in time to pick up to the parts that you haven't seen yet. Okay, uh, next up, uh, Mitchell, uh, Mitchell Keen writes, Hey, John, all the way from Australia. Thank you for writing in from Australia, man. By the way, sends in like a $22 super chat. Thank you for that, Mitchell. Uh, easily Aussie's biggest John Campia show fan. Well, thank you for that. I just got back from my third viewing this weekend. Loved it. What characters would you love to see in this world? And what the fuck was up with that cop's, with that cop's voice? I don't think I know which cop we're talking about. Anyway, getting back to, to what characters would I love to see in this world. Like, again, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, because I'll tell you right now, one of my answers would not have been the Riddler. Riddler would not have been one of my answers. And yet, Matt Reeves just did the Riddler in such a way that he's one of the greatest characters ever to be in a Batman film. So there's that. But, you know, in general... I mean, I would be, look, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I'd be curious to see a Bane, but a a more, doesn't have to be identical to the Bane in the comics, you'd have to make some adaptation for sure, but at least a Bane that's a little bit more in line with the comics, because, you know, like, the Bane we got in the old Schumacher Batman movie was this brainless monster, like, he was more like Frankenstein's monster than he was, like, Moriarty. Bane is really more Moriarty than he is Frankenstein's monster in the comics. Bane didn't defeat Batman in the comics with his sheer physical force. He actually beat Batman already with his brain. He outsmarted Batman. And he used his intellect to wear down the Batman and wear him down. If you're familiar with the Nightfall series, you know what I'm talking about. Bane uses his intellect to wear down and beat down Batman over a period of time so that Batman was completely drained, exhausted, and broken mentally and physically so that when Bane decided, now it's time for me to take you on, he wasn't dealing with a peak at 100% fresh Batman. He was dealing with a broken down, tired, and exhausted mentally and physically Batman. 
And in that scenario, he took him, iconic scene, took him, broke him, broke his back over his knee, right? Gave him the old WWE backbreaker move. So a character like Bane, who poses the ultimate intellectual threat to Batman and physical threat to Batman, like Bane does, that to me becomes a very fascinating character that you could do. Take a lot of take a lot of liberty with him, do a lot of adaptation, remake him to be the way you need him in the movie. But I think a Bane like that would be interesting to me. But again, Matt Reeves has shown he can do anything with any character, so we'll see where they go with that. All right, thanks for that in, Mitchell. And thanks for writing from Australia, man. I got to get out there sometime. Elif writes, uh, once of the things, you probably mean one of the things that I loved about Pattinson's performance was he didn't need a lot of dialogue. The way he looked at other characters said everything. I love that in performances. When we can know as the audience a lot of stuff just by the way the characters on screens emote. When you can communicate a lot of information to the audience without dialogue, you're three steps ahead of the game. And you're right. Pattinson, under the direction of Matt Reeves, did a terrific job of that in this movie. That there were scenes and moments where no words were needed for us as the audience to, for, to understand what was actually happening, what was being comprehended, what was being learned. There were many moments in this film where dialogue wasn't needed to do that, and I think that's a real testament both to Pattinson's performance and to Matt Reeves' direction. All right, next up, we got uh, Blake62, who writes, Kudos to WB. Uh, first of all, for green lighting, something I never thought I'd see. This is the Batman. Maybe not for everyone, but a dream come true for me. And again, here's the key. This, it's movies like Joker and the Batman. Why I've been saying for years and everybody gives me the fucking stink eye when I've said it over the last number of years, but I'm right. Which is not everything should be shared cinematic universe. Because that Joker story that we got with Joaquin Phoenix never could have been told in the shared cinematic universe. This Batman movie never would have been greenlit and never could have taken place inside a shared cinematic universe. There is value and entertainment to be had in both shared cinematic universe movies and in these standalone universe movies. Because within these standalone universe movies, there's more creative freedom. You can tell whatever story you want because you don't have to worry about how what happens in your movie affects the other eight movies coming out in the shared cinematic universe. You don't have to worry about any of that. You don't have to worry about what happened in the previous 10 shared cinematic universe movies because that got to shape how it happens. No, no, no. In a standalone universe like the Joker, like Batman, the Batman, I should say, the filmmakers then have untethered freedom to tell whatever kind of story they want and they don't have to worry about how it affects other movies around them. Because this movie, Blake, never would have been greenlit if it was inside a shared cinematic universe. It never would have been greenlit. Not by Warner Brothers, not by Disney, not by anybody. But as a standalone story, they could give Matt Reeves the kind of freedom he wants to kind of tell his story and have anything happen into it because it doesn't affect any of the other movies whatsoever. It's isolated from them. That's the genius of it. 
We need to have a thriving environment of comic book movies where both shared cinematic universe stories are told and where some standalone stories are told because there's more freedom there. And I think there's great benefit out of both. But yeah, so I agree, man. Kudos to Warner Brothers for doing what War- what Marvel and Disney haven't had the guts to do. Now, look, I, you know, I think the, the MCU has been quantifiably better and more successful than the DCU has. Although I like almost every DCU movie other than Birds of Prey. But I like almost every DCU movie. But the MCU has done a much better job so far. But Warner Brothers was the ones that had the guts to say, let's do some standalone movies too. And on that front, they're actually ahead of Marvel. I would love to see Kevin Feige take some inspiration from this. Say, you know what? We've got our MCU. Let's tell some standalone stories as well. I would love to see them have the guts and the testicular fortitude to do that. I I really, really would. I think they could do some amazing things if they follow Warner Brothers' lead here a little bit. All right. Next up, Blake62 writes, I'm all in on this world now, and I really want to see Batman fully formed. Something about how this was short just feel or how this was shot just feels right. I can't explain it. Listen, it's all about the DNA, Blake. The DNA of this movie being down to that gritty Batman detective, the darkness of Gotham. There was something in the DNA of this movie that we could all just tell when once we saw the first previews for it that this movie gets it. Gets it in a way that not necessarily is better than, but gets it in a way that some of the other, or maybe any of the other Batman iterations have ever gotten. There's obviously big benefits to the other Batman iterations, but that was going to be the benefit with this one, and they totally nailed it on that level. All right, next up, uh, Michael Jones writes, One thing I didn't understand, when Batman was knocked out by the bomb in the funeral scene and wake up at the police station surrounded by cops, how come nobody had thought to remove the mask while he was unconscious? To me, that's obvious. Gordon probably stopped them. And we didn't need to see that happen to get it. Gordon clearly carries a lot of weight within the police department, right? He can bring Batman onto crime scenes. He outranks almost all the other officers. That's just a thing. So to me, I never even gave that any thought because to me, it was very clear. Uh, Gordon was preventing people from taking the mask off. And then once they all were in the room, some of them, when Gordon wasn't standing right beside him, some say, oh, I want to see under it. I want, and they started to move, and that's when Batman woke up. So, Because remember, Gordon was there on site at the church. Gordon was there where the bomb went off. So Gordon easily could have said, okay, fine, let's take him in, but nobody touched the mask. He could have said, he, and Gordon could have made up a hundred different reasons. You know, that that the mask could be booby-trapped. It could be this, it could be that. But Or, or he just straight up told them, don't touch the mask. Whatever it was, to me, as an audience member, when I was sitting there, I just instantly assumed that the reason the mask wasn't already off was that Gordon probably intervened and stopped them. If he can get him onto crime scenes, he can get them to hold off on pulling his mask off. At least that's how I interpreted it at the time. Thanks a lot for saying that in, Michael. By the way, I just recognize that Michael also made that uh, $20 super chat. Thank you so much, man, for supporting us on that on that level, man. I appreciate that a lot. All right. Uh, next up, the Sock writes, I love how they held on the shadows. That was a very nice choice. Made Batman seem like even more of a scary freaking Terminator. Again, you're right. That whole idea um, of when they showed the shadow... Batman didn't just come flying out of it. Right? He didn't just come flying out of the shadows. 
It was that even though it's kind of funny, it's like Batman, this guy's about to get beaten up. Maybe you could hurry it up a little, but still, the fact that they just Matt Reese chose to just hold on the shadow and hear that the the heavy footsteps, boom, boom, boom. It, it just added to that menacing feel of it. I totally get it. Oh, and by the way, I see some debate going on in the live chat about whether Venom was good. Let me end that debate right now. Venom's awesome. All right. Venom was super fun. I love that movie. Anyway, end of the debate. Okay, next up. Everybody has their own opinion on it. I'm just teasing you. All right. End of the bay. Uh, let's see. Sock writes. Oh, no, that was the sock. Uh, boom or bust writes. One of two. This movie and the recent trend of deconstructing Batman made me realize he isn't a hero. Everyone else in the Justice League had powers thrust upon them and made a choice to use it for good. Uh, Batman went out of his way went out of his way to fight. Pattinson said Batman is going out every night trying to save his parents, uh, stuck in a cycle of, of projection. He isn't heroic, just a rich boy trying to cope. I don't know if I would go that far. There, I mean, what we see in this movie is this notion of, um, oh God, I see these fucktards in the live chat now saying, because I like Venom, by the way, I'm right. Uh, because I'm like Venom, some fucking idiots in the live chat saying, well, you just lost credibility. Can I just say this? If you want to show the world, if you want to tell the world that you're a fucking moron without actually saying you're a fucking moron, just tell somebody that because their opinion of a movie is different than yours, that they lose credibility. That's how you say you're a fucking moron without saying, look, if you like Venom, if you don't like Venom, that's all cool. It's all movies. It's all subjective. It's all good. We're all here to be film fans together, right? But the moment like you reveal something, oh, if you don't like, um, if you don't like that somebody, if you don't, if you like a movie that I don't like, you lose credibility. No, you just show that you're a fucking moron. So let's not do that. All right. Anyway, next up. Um, where are we at? Oh yeah. Get this, see, that's an interesting take. What I think we see here, look, Bruce, as a result of the pain that he suffered, right? The, res the result of the pain he suffered, he wants two things at this point, right? At this point where we meet Batman only in his second year of doing this. One is that he does want vengeance on those who would hurt others. And you're right, that is a catharsis for him, right? There, there, there's also a selfish angle to that, that he, there's, there, there's a catharsis for him that he wants to see those who would harm others punished. He is vengeance. And what he's doing at night is really an extension of that vengeance. He can't take the vengeance on the guy that actually killed his parents, but he can take vengeance on everybody else who would do uh, similar things. The second part that we get, though, that I believe is also true already in this Batman is that he doesn't want others to suffer what he suffered. It's not about being a hero, but what he like, like, remember when he's in the mayor's house and he comes across and he sees the mayor's son and he sees now a kid not exactly going through what he went through, but a kid suffering like he suffered. And so I think where we meet Batman at the beginning of this movie is a Batman who is, who's got two things in his mission. One, to be vengeance, to punish those who would hurt others. And number two, he doesn't want others to suffer the same pain and fear and loss that he felt. But it wasn't about being heroic and it wasn't about giving hope. 
I think he learns through the process of this movie, and this is Bruce's you know, character journey. He learns through the process of this film to the point where we get to the end of the movie and he realizes, to truly do my mission, I need to be more. I need to be the hero. I, I have to, one, be vengeance, yes, but I also need to be the hero. And I need to not only instill fear, I also need to instill hope. And I think that's part of the journey. And I think that's a really good thing about this movie, that, that Batman is a different Batman at the end of this movie than he was at the beginning. This isn't, by the end of this movie, this isn't the same Batman that we had at the beginning of the movie. He went through a character journey that changed him. Not fundamentally, but gave him a moment of revelation, if you will, about his mission and the full extent. I don't think this was ever, I don't think this Batman starts off as a selfish little boy um, just trying to cope. I, I don't interpret that. But I think you're right in understanding that there was one aspect to his mission and how he saw it, but it evolved to understand that he had to be more. But anyway, it's, it's a great dichotomy in the film Boomer Bust, and I'm glad you recognize it. All right, next up, the Sock Rites. Uh, the one slight criticism I have is when the bomb blows up. His face isn't uh, affected at all, particularly his mouth. He was like standing inches away. True. My my guess would be his head got turned around. Remember, his outfit is bulletproof. So if he at least was able to get his head turned, then that would have protected him. But yes, otherwise, there should have been damage in that area's face. You're absolutely 100% right about that. All right. Uh, let's see here. Boomer bus rights. One or one of two. And then we're going to take another break here, guys, because we're at the top of the hour again. Can you, we've already, we've been going for three hours already. We've been going for as long as the movie is already. This, 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 uh, open spoiler discussion is now officially longer than the movie itself. All right. Boomer bust rights. Um, third act was cool, but I think Riddler needed specific targets. So Batman had a goal. Riddler achieved chaos, um, so the shooters felt extra. If he orchestrated specific targets to die and Batman saved them, it would feel more purposeful. Well, the reality is boomer bust is that both are true. Riddler very specifically wanted the new mayor murdered. And he was very upset when the new mayor didn't get killed. Uh, but that was there was a very specific target, but not just the new mayor. He also wanted a whole he wanted hundreds of people killed in that thing there. Right. But there was a specific target. Make no mistake about that. But you're also right that all the other shooters at the end just felt extra. Like there, there is something fundamentally a little awkward about the fact that the big closing action set piece was Batman versus a bunch of guys that we had never seen in the movie up to this point who were just nameless nobodies that were wearing masks, right? There, there was something a little fundamentally awkward about that, that that's the big climax of the movie. Again, they still did some very good things in it that I still enjoyed it, but that was a little bit of an awkward decision there as well. All right. <clears throat> Uh, we'll get to Jonathan Teft in just a minute. But guys, again, we are at the top of the hour. So we are going to take another little five-minute break as we are every hour. Uh, so use this opportunity. Run, use the bathroom. Talk amongst yourselves. Grab something to eat. I'm going to stretch my legs a little bit, refill my drink as well. So don't go anywhere, guys. And we will be right back to talk more about the Batman. 
All right, everybody, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as we took a little bit of a break there. Just grab myself a quick bite. Get ready to keep on going through the show. We have a lot more to get through. We're going to see, we're now heading into hour number four, guys. Hour number four. So to all you guys who are here, who've been here from the beginning, uh, good on you for being here from the beginning and hanging here because we're heading into the fourth hour here. So let's keep things going here, shall we? We're going to get things picked up here with Jonathan Teft, who writes, uh, one of two, holy crap, that was Barry Keoghan as Joker. Yes, it was. I don't care how many times Joker has been done. I need to see more of Keoghan as Joker. That is perfect casting I would not have thought of. Um, I would not have thought of. Uh, if you don't know much about Keoghan apart from Eternals, he's an extremely talented actor. Watch his movie, The Killing of a Sacred Deer and American Animals. He is so good. Now, again, whether he's a perfect Joker or not, we won't know because... Maybe he's a perfect Joker for the Joker you have in your head. But we'll see if he's a perfect Joker for the Joker that Matt Reeves has in mind. But again, all I ever care about is do you get a talented actor to play the role? And with Barry, they didn't. I love him in Eternals. I think I honestly think he's one of the strongest parts of that movie. And I quite like Eternals. And I thought he was one of the best parts of that. So, uh, yeah. But again, I just don't think that that scene was necessary. I, I really don't think that scene should have been there. I'm all for Barry Keegan playing Joker later on, if that's what they're going to do. I just thought that scene in there just didn't quite work and felt out of pace with the rest of the movie. Oh, that's just what I thought. Okay, next up. Uh, Cameron W. writes, one of two. This is top to bottom the most Batman of the Batman films so far. It's everything I love about Batman, yet never actually feels like a, like a super film like a soup film. Uh, each character was cast, written, and performed perfectly. Uh, we've never seen Batman be given an arc like this on screen before, and Gotham has never felt so thick, dank, dark, and miserable. Lots of villains, but never felt overcrowded as a Batman film, as Batman films go, 10 out of 10. Again, I don't give scores for movies. Um, I don't give scores for movies, but uh, this thing was, again, I mentioned it before, on a DNA level, it's everything I've ever wanted in a Batman movie. Like, to me, this is the first time I ever watched a Batman film where I actually felt like it was Batman coming to life off of the pages of the comics. And this was, and you're right, it starts with Gotham. Gotham has given a lot of lip service in the other movies, for sure. Great movies. But I've never felt like Gotham was truly given the spotlight and given its soul the way this movie gave Gotham its soul. And I think that was one of the big strengths of it as well. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, next up, we've got Douglas Scarborough writes and sends in like a $20 super chat. Thank you so much for supporting us on that level, man. Appreciate that. All right. Scarborough writes, hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much. This movie was incredible. The cinematography, the acting, the music, all of it is fantastic. Some parts could have been trimmed down, I agree. But overall, this was artistic expression, not just a movie. Well, eh, semantics, all movies are artistic expression. Um, <clears throat> people just say the movies they don't like wasn't artistic expression. No, all movies are to a degree artistic expression. But this just for me clicked on all levels the script was fantastic the direction was impeccable the performances were amazing the cinematography had life the score breathed spirit into every single scene like 
the the costume design, the set designs, the the Batmobile itself. Like, uh, man, everything about this just worked for me. It's not a perfect movie. It's not a perfect movie. And this is what I said when I came out of the theater. I said, this is not a perfect movie. But it's a perfect Batman movie. At least that's how my kind of feeling of it were. All right. Douglas Scarborough. Oh, no, that was Douglas Scarborough. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. All right. Uh, Dalton Gray writes, Hey, John, you the man. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Uh, What do you think that fluid was that he injected into himself near the end of the movie to save Catwoman? Bring on the filthy. Again, we've addressed this a couple of times here, but it's, again, my first thought was, was Venom. My first thought was Venom when I saw it. But, you know, then as you see the scene play out and you saw what the effects on Batman were, I think the real answer, it was adrenaline. (laughs) It was just adrenaline. Now, I know all of us, including me, are looking for ties to other things um, in the, uh, are looking for ties to other things in the universe as well. And so we kind of want it to be the tie to Bane and all that kind of stuff. And again, I admit that was my first thought when I saw it, but the reality is it was probably just straight up uh, adrenaline. All right, but we'll find out. Uh, Jacob James writes, um, did you think Pattison played a good Bruce Wayne? Uh, because I thought he didn't come off as a billionaire playboy like he does in the animated series. He comes across as Batman without the mask. Thoughts? Well, like I mentioned this before, remember, the billionaire playboy is fake. Like, the real Batman, the billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne is fake. That's a fiction. He's a created fictional character that the Batman creates to have this duality, the duality of what people see and the duality of what he actually is. What he actually is, is the Batman. And like I said earlier, the one reason why I may still prefer Ben Affleck's and Zack Snyder's iteration of Batman in Batman versus Superman, not Justice League, but in Batman versus Superman, is the fact that that Batman and what Snyder and Ben made was a Batman who understood that duality. That when he's seen in public, he is this character, this fictitious character that he made up called Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, who really, in every real sense, died in that alley with his parents and the Batman was born. And in this one, we see him still being Batman, even when he's out in public as Bruce Wayne. But again, that could just be a function of the fact that he's still only two years into this. He's only in his second year. And that might be something that we see he evolves, that he's going to start to understand that I need to have this facade out in the public. Bruce Wayne needs to be a guy that's out there. So he'll create that Bruce Wayne, that millionaire player boy. And we'll see how they do with that moving forward. All right. Douglas Scarborough writes, "Um, for a moment, I thought Batman injected himself with venom serum. I think all of us for a moment thought that was a possibility. Injected himself with the venom searing during that fight would be an interesting story arc to revisit in later films. Again, I think it could just be venom. But again, I ex- already expressed a little bit earlier in the broadcast why I think a vain kind of character, one who is more than Batman's equal mentally and more than Batman's equal physically, could come into that. And I mean, but I honestly even though that was my first thought too, I honestly think at the end of the day, it was probably just adrenaline, but we'll see. All right. Edwin Arzola writes, 
I loved this movie. It had the best of both worlds, the dark gothic look from Burton's Batman films and the seriousness and drama of the Nolan films. I would say this. It went far. I think it went farther than both. Not necessarily that it was better than both, but I think in those terms, it went further than both. I think it gave a true, because Tim Burton's Gotham, while dark and gothic, it looked dark and gothic. You know what I mean? I never really felt like it was dark and gothic. I always felt like it very much looked like it was. Whereas this Batman film gives Gotham its soul. That that darkness, that grittiness, the, the soul of that city, the rotting soul of the city of Gotham. This one was dark and gothic, not just looking like it. And then with Nolan's films, where they were definitely serious, I felt like this one went even further. It was even more grimly serious than Nolan's was. I'm not saying there were it was a better film than Nolan's. I'm not necessarily saying that. But again, I, I like your comparison to the to the to the uh, Tim Burton and the Christopher Nolan, but I just think it actually goes further than both. Uh, but anyway, that's just kind of my take on it. Thanks for sharing that, Edwin. All right, next up. Edwin Arzola also writes, uh, did Riddler have a twin brother? One was in the cell and the other was on the roof when Batman unmasked him. It would make sense with the two ID cards. No, I no, I don't think that's what they were alluding to at all. I don't think that was a part of it whatsoever. I could see where you'd, where you'd think that. I could see where you'd initially go that way. But really, when you look at what transpires in the film, I don't think that's what was being suggested at all. Maybe I'm wrong, but that would, that's just kind of my take on it right now, Edwin. All right, uh, Jacob Love writes, I laughed out loud when Batman and Gordon left Oz with his arms and legs tied because he had to waddle like a penguin. Very clever. Again, Matt Reeves shows his brilliance in understanding how to lead the audience through a story. Every once in a while, you need to give that audience a release. You have to give audience a, the permission to laugh and to break the tension momentarily. And there were great moments of that, like with Thumb Drive or You Got a Lot of Cats or The Penguin Waddling Away or whatever, he knew how to put those in there at strategic moments to give the audience those moments of release so we can keep going down this dark journey with them. And I thought that was a brilliant, brilliantly done. All right, <clears throat> Nate Jensen writes, what I loved was that Reeves perfectly captured the dichotomy of Batman. To the villains, he's terrifying, but to the law-abiding citizens, he's a hero. Mm, yes and no. I mean, by the end of the film... He's seen as the hero, but throughout the vast majority of the film, before he saves, remember the newscast comes on and says, the vigilante known as the Batman saves hundreds, right? Like, but before that, Gotham didn't know what to make of him. The police were distrustful of him. People were afraid of him. Like, even when he saved a bunch of them in the arena and he shows up and he reaches out his hand, nobody wants to reach out and take his hand. He, they're afraid of him. And then the boy reaches out. And then once the boy does, then people follow suit. But yeah, I, I'd suggest that up until that moment, Gotham didn't see him as the hero. I think they were unsure. At least that's kind of my interpretation of it at any rate. All right, thanks for sharing that, Nate. Next up, Orlando Orego writes, the Batman was so amazing. Everyone in the cast did great. And the Batmobile, wow. That scene with Batman and the Riddler was so good. Yeah, again, the... A lot of times movies like this, and not necessarily comic book movies, but even like serial killer movies, detective movies, whatever, at some point you come to a scene where the hero confronts the villain. 
and you have that confrontation. And quite often in those kind of movies, that can make or break the spirit of the movie. And so when we got to that moment, and we knew it was coming because we saw it in the trailers, but when we got to that moment in the movie where Batman was in the room with Riddler, I mean, separated by the glass, but Batman's in the room with the Riddler, honestly, I felt like that could have been a make or break moment for the movie because if that scene goes poorly or doesn't feel organic or feels like it goes off the rails, that could have affected or maybe even soured our overall experience of the film. But that that interaction with them in that moment was so great. It was so perfect. It was thick. It was dense. They covered a lot of ground in a relatively short amount of time. I just thought it was really well done, Orlando. All right, next up. Orlando also writes, um, I agree with you guys about the third act of the movie, but I see what they were, what they, let me see, but I see what they were, they to, I agree with you guys about the third act of the movie, but I see what they were, they too do. Matt, are you saying you see what they were, what they meant to do? If that's what you're saying, yeah, I agree. I see what Matt Reeves was going for there. And I agree with you. You know, Rob and I talked about that because I completely agree with what it was they were trying to accomplish in that last part of the movie. And I agree. I just didn't think it was executed the way it could have been executed to achieve those goals. But I totally am on board with the goals they were trying to achieve and even do achieve to a degree. Uh, And again, I don't dislike the third act of the film um, or do I even dislike the second half of the third act? I just thought it could have been executed a little bit better, but that's just me. All right. Orlando also writes, I meant what they were trying to do. Ah, thanks for clarifying that, man. Uh, sorry for my previous super chat. Batman was an eight out of five, eight point five out of ten for me. Well, thank you. Listen, I figured it out. I eventually got there. But thank you for having the courtesy to follow up and to clarify, man. That's really good of you. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, what's next? We got Danny Sanchez who writes. Not the best Batman movie, but the most satisfying. Oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I still don't know if it's the best. It might be. Like, if you ask me two or three weeks from now, I might say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm convinced this is the best Batman movie. But it was definitely satisfying. Dark Knight was also supremely satisfying, though, to be fair. All right. Uh, next up, we got the soccer rights. One other thing. I think th- I think his Batmobile complements him perfectly. Yeah, it's it's agile and quick, and you wouldn't think it would take the hits that it does, but it's tough as nails, just like him. Listen, that is a really good observation as I reach for another drink. That is a really good observation. That when, like, I think a lot of us, and I admit this, I think a lot of us, when we first saw the images of the new Batmobile, I think a lot of us, including me, might have thought, man, um, that doesn't look so great. I mean, it kind of looks kind of plain. It kind of looks kind of unremarkable, right? And I think you can forgive us if we kind of maybe had that first impression when we first saw it. But once you saw it, um, once you saw it in the movie and you saw it in context, it is the perfect Batmobile for this Batman. It really is an expression and an extension of him. It's not the biggest, baddest car like the Tumbler, but it's more of a nightmare. It is more agile and sleek like this Batman, but it also strives to be something out of somebody's nightmare like this Batman himself. And it's not a coincidence that the first time we see this Batmobile, he is, the Batmobile itself is injecting fear into the Penguin. 
it's injecting terror into those that just see it and perceive it and hear it because the sound design of the Batmobile was amazing. All right, next up, Robert, or sorry, Brian Brown writes, Robert Pattinson was great as Batman and Bruce Wayne. His ability to out of the, his ability to out of the character so smooth, everyone, everyone pull their weight. See, again, I'm not so sure what I thought of him as Bruce Wayne because again, unlike Ben Affleck's Batman, we have not seen this Bruce Wayne get to the point of the one thing that Batman, one of the DNA cores of Batman is he creates this dichotomy, this, this duality of the Batman and Bruce Wayne. In this movie, he plays them both the same. And I'm sure that's intentional. I don't think that has anything to do with Robert Pattinson wasn't a good enough actor to make. No, no, I'm, I'm sure that's the way it was in the script and he pulled it off. But again, I think we... I need to reserve judgment on how Pattinson will be as as Bruce Wayne until we actually see him as Bruce Wayne, this fictional made-up character, Bruce Wayne, that the Batman creates to be his public face. So, I, yeah, I wasn't thrilled with the Bruce Wayne iteration, but I understand it's just because they're saying that Batman right now hasn't learned how to create that duality quite yet. But we'll see what happens as they move the story forward. All right, next up, Comic Nizer writes, what do you think about the theory that what Batman injected was Bane's venom? I don't think it was, but it could be. Again, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that was my first thought when I saw him pull it out. But the reality was, when you look at the effects it had on him, it had none of the effects of venom. It had all the effects of pure adrenaline being pumped into a system. So I think the most likely answer there is that it was pure adrenaline. All right, next up. <clears throat> Colby Harris writes, My theory for these movies, uh, they will hold the Joker until the third film. Uh, by that time, the Joker will have dozens of Arkham prisoners to use. They could start the next movie and say he already does. See, that's the thing. Everybody thinks that everything's got to be built up, and that's not necessarily true, right? That's not necessarily true. We didn't need, need to come into this movie and have one movie first where we see Edward or, you know, Riddler developing his plan, why he hates Gotham so much, and build that up, and then in the second movie, have him start his reign of terror. No, you can. we can learn that. You could easily start the second movie with, hey, it's been a couple of years, Joker's been in there, and he's amassed this loyalty amongst the criminal and the insane at Arkham who now follow him, if that's the story you wanted to do. You don't need a movie that builds up to that. You can just say, this is where we're at right here and right now. And if you're a good storyteller, you can do it in that way. So again, I'm not saying we're going to have Joker in the second film, but we very well could. And they could easily accomplish that without having to go through a movie to set it up. It can be very easily set up off camera and then expressed in one scene. So they could do it that way, Colby. All right. Jin the Jedi writes, a perfect title for the sequel would have been the Batman Dawn of Justice. Unfortunate that Batman versus Superman already has it. How is that a good title for the, for the sequel? I mean, how would that be? How would the Batman Dawn of Justice, how would that be a good title for the sequel? I mean, we don't even know what the story of the second one is. Dawn of Ju For all we know, Dawn of Justice would have been an absolutely ridiculous, makes no sense sequel. I mean, title, right? Until we see the movie, uh, we won't know what a good title for it has been. I, I don't know why. But by the way, Dawn is not a good title for a second film. It's been done before, Matt Reeves. It's been done before, um, but Dawn suggests the first movie. 
right? I don't, I don't think Dawn in a second film, Matt Reeves, um, is, would necessarily be a good thing to do, but hey, that's just me. All right. Chris, the Wiz writes, Hey guys, um, uh, where do we go? There it is. Hey guys, the beginning, the beginning shot of Riddler's point of view, breathing in the mask, uh, sort of gave me Halloween 1978 vibes of a young Michael's point of view in the mask. I mean, it, it absolutely did. And I thought that was brilliant. Because that just opening the film with that told the audience immediately, buckle up, this is what you're in for, right? This is what you're in for with this movie. And it, it was so creepy. I mean, right up to the point where we moved away from his point of view into the room and then you see him in the background. Dude, it was just so well set up, man. So well set up. All right. Uh, we got Ryan Loner who writes, this movie has the same four villains as the 1966 Batman film. Well, the 1966 Batman film had more, had more. Like, I think you had basically everybody in it, didn't you? You're talking about the one with the bat shark repellent? So you had Catwoman, who's not really a villain in this one. Uh, you had Penguin. Joker was there. Riddler was there. Wasn't there another one? I thought there was another one in the 1966 one. Ah, oh, well, maybe I'm wrong about that. Anyway, keen observation, Ryan. K. Major writes, John, once the credits started to roll, I sat there stunned and speechless. I asked my sister, what the hell did we just see? The film was phenomenal. I agree. It is such an incredible experience. You know, you always guys, you guys hear me always say that at the, the bottom line is movies are experiential events, Right. And the Batman is one hell of an experience, dude. And you're right. The movie ends and you're just kind of sitting there like, oh my God. Like, what did I just see? Again, I'm not willing to, I'm not ready to call it like a top five greatest comic book film of all time, but it's in the conversation. And we'll, maybe I will put it in there after a couple of weeks. We'll see. All right. Kara Black writes, while watching the film, Pattinson's bad voice reminded me a lot of Bale's voice, but more toned down and refined than his vision. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't go out of his way to disguise his voice as much as like, say, look, Christian Bale's Batman was wonderful. Make no mistake. But uh, at some point, the voice of the Batman was so well. Yeah. yeah. That is the one point I think a lot of people, even the most diehard of the Christopher Nolan Batman films, which are iconically awesome films. Uh, the one thing that a lot of people point to was, Oh man, that, that, Ooh, that Christian Bale Batman voice. You're right. Ben Affleck was much more subdued. Well, Ben Affleck and Robert Pattinson were much more subdued than that, and then made more sense. All right. Next up, K Major writes. Score was awesome. Absolutely, it was. Um, Batman's theme was especially good. I want the score. You felt Batman's gravitas every time he was entering a room, starting with those heavy boots. Bra, it had a Western feel to me. I'm telling you what. If you had told me that there's like 20 different times in the movie that they just reuse a different way of doing the same bum, 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 bum. If you told me there's like 20 times in the movie that they use that, I would have said, oh man, that's going to feel awkward. That's going to feel like way overdone. That's going to feel way oversaturated. But it doesn't. Every time those notes start, sometimes the notes are single piano notes. Ding, 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 ding. Sometimes it's a couple of strings. Boom, 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 boom. And sometimes they're full-blown orchestral hits. Boom, 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 boom. But every time it's used, chills. Absolute chills. 
Like, I just love the way they did that. It was oh, absolutely fantastic. All right, next up. Kara Black writes, uh, with this bat first being grounded and realistic, I don't feel it would be a good idea uh, or send a good message to have young Robin, basically a kid, thrust into the violence of Batman's war on crime. I mean, it depends on how it's managed. Like, listen, this is what I've always said. You can have a Robin, but you cannot have the comic book iteration of Robin in, in a movie that has this kind of a feel. You cannot have the Batman bringing an 11-year-old child into a life-and-death life, life and death combat with mobsters and gangsters with knives and guns and weapons and things like that. That would not work, right? That would not work. It would be idiotic. Now, if you want to play around with the Robin character a little bit, and say that Bruce finds Dick Grayson or Tim Drake or Damian Wayne or whichever Jason Todd or whichever version of Robin you want when they're 19 or 20 years old and say, I understand where you come from. I was like you. Let me show you a more, I don't know, <laughs> a more beneficial path to vengeance or, or whatever. If you want to do that where he approaches Robin as an adult or or even engages with Robin when Robin's a bit younger. But there, it would be nothing, Batman would be nothing short of an asshole. Batman would be a supreme asshole in this kind of realistic, gritty-feeling kind of thing to take a 12-year-old or an 11-year-old child and say, I'm going to put you on the path of vengeance. Like, that, that would make Batman nothing short of a supreme asshole. But, if you then play with that mythology and you adapt it and say he comes across and then a very troubled 17-year-old dude who, who, who's starting to go down the wrong path a little bit because of a tragedy in his past and says, I'm going to train you for three years behind the scenes. I will teach you to bring your vengeance to bear on those who would hurt the innocent. And then three years later, when he's in his early 20s, or right at the beginning of his 20s, then he starts bringing this character known as Robin into the fray. That becomes workable. The traditional, literal, comic book interpretation of Robin never works in, in an environment like this. It can work fine in your cartoon, and it can work fine on the printed page, but it would never work in a movie like this. But you bring some adaptation to it, you fiddle with the origin story a little bit, it then becomes, to me, it becomes viable and something that they could explore a little bit later. Maybe yes, maybe no. That's just my take on it, though. All right. Uh, next up. Who was that? That was Kara Black. Thanks for sending that in, Kara. All right. Uh, K Major writes, I struggle with whether this is now my number one Batman film over Dark Knight. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually wrestling with that question a little bit myself. So far, the Batman is winning because this film, in this film, Batman was my favorite character, where in the Dark Knight, Joker was my favorite. But but that it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like it's it's like saying, oh, I ate this pie, but it can't be my favorite because I love the crust more than I liked the filling. Whereas in the other pie, I like the filling more than I like the crust. Well, who cares? It's still a piece of pie. And both are ingredients in that piece. So it doesn't matter. If in The Dark Knight, the Joker was your favorite character in The Dark Knight, or if Batman was your favorite character in the back, that's, that's irrelevant. 
The question is, how was the movie as a whole? Regardless about which element was your favorite element, how was the movie as a whole? And then you look at the Batman, and it doesn't matter that Batman was your favorite character or whether Paul Dano was your favorite or whether Alfred was your favorite. It doesn't matter. The question is, how was the Batman as a whole? And ask yourself, wrestle with it on that level. Don't give yourself an artificial criteria of saying, well, it can only be your favorite Batman movie if Batman was your favorite character in it. That, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Don't worry about that. Just like I say, if you take a bite of pie and that pie is your favorite pie, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's because of the filling or the crust. If that's your favorite pie, that's your favorite pie. Go with that. All right. Uh, thanks for sending that in, K-Major. Next up, uh, Kara Black writes, I feel if Bruce has any partner at all, it should be his cousin, Kate Kane, slash Batwoman. Uh, but, that's, but that's only if Reeves wants his Batman to have a partner. I, I, I disagree entirely. I think just because Bruce could be that, that it's just some member of his, another member of his family could be that as well. Don't get me wrong. I have no problem with the idea of a Batwoman or a Batgirl or anything like that in this universe. I'm not saying I have a problem with that. I just, I, 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 Great against the notion that, oh, just because someone is a cousin of his, they can do what he does and be just as special at doing it as he does. So to me, that would work against the the realisticness. I felt of this film. So I would say, I would say no to that. To me, he's found his partner and it's Jim Gordon. This Batman's partner is Jim Gordon. So I, I think he's found, or get this Alfred more involved, because this is clearly a badass Alfred. So maybe get this Alfred a little bit more involved, but I don't know. We'll see, Kara. All right, next up, uh, Casey Mack writes, one of two. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the reporter that Falcone killed for the Waynes was Edward Elliott. That makes me wonder if he was the father to Tommy. Um, I know we are a long way from a Batman 2, but I actually wouldn't mind to see a live-action adaptation of Hush and Falcone killing his father uh, for Thomas could come out to hurt Bruce in a sequel. Again, I this this isn't what this is, right? That isn't what this is. Matt Reeves is not going to take one story and adapt that story. Um, and, and most comic book movies really don't. I mean, even if you look at something like Marvel's Civil War, that is very different from the comic book Civil War. Like when you read the comic arc of Civil War, it's, it is fundamentally different than what you got in the movie, but they're both called Civil War. Matt Reese has made it pretty clear that he's drawing from multiple sources of inspiration. So if you're like kind of waiting to see a hush story, I don't think you're going to get it. I think you'll get tastes of it, and I think you'll get flavors of it, just like this movie had some flavors of it and about 10 other things as well. But I don't think we're going to get anything like that, nor do I think they should. I think Matt Reese should should not look to make an adaptation of one Batman story. He should tell his own Batman stories and take influence and some inspiration from a bunch of the Batman source material. It worked for this movie. I think he should keep on that path for the second one. But who knows, man? You never know, Casey. Maybe Matt Reese is thinking the same way you are. All right. Uh, let's see. K Major writes and sends in like a $50 super chat. Thank you, K Major, for, for supporting on that level, man. Uh, and K Major writes, the Batmobile is a beast. It doesn't look like it is, but it totally is. Uh, you felt the monster that it was. 
that scene did run just a bit too long. I don't know. I, I thought that scene could have gone longer, to be honest. But to get that scene with Penguin watching him walk upside down made up for it. Penguin was shitting bricks seeing him emerge from the flames. And again, I want to I emphasize to everybody, Bruce Wayne, Batman, basically murdered Penguin. Because, as I said earlier in this broadcast... By ramming the Batmobile into Penguin's car the way he did. And didn't it just, it didn't just roll over. It went nine out of ten times, that crash kills everybody in the car. Nine out of ten times, what Bruce did, what Batman did to Penguin was murder. All right? He straight up murdered. So... I don't buy for a second that this this Batman has any problems with the notion that, look, I'm not intentionally going to go out to kill people. That's crossing a line. But, hey, if in the act of fulfilling my mission, if somebody dies inadvertently, I'm not, I'm not setting out to kill them. But Batman isn't losing any sleep if people die in the process of him fulfilling his mission. And I think the proof of that lies in that scene with Penguin. Because like I said, if he does that to any to nine, if he does that ten times, nine out of the ten times, the 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 occupants of that car are dead. They're totally dead. Nine out of ten times, when he sets off the explosions, the explosives on the glass roof, nine out of ten times, that's going to kill. That's going to pierce the skulls and the spinal cords. The glass is going to fall, cut major arteries on people. That's going to kill a number of people. Now he's not intentionally trying to kill anybody. But he's got no problems doing something that may end up killing them. Not trying to kill him, but it very well, I'm okay with the fact that what I'm about to do may end up killing him. Like when he takes a lead pipe and hits a guy across the head, that could kill him. He's not trying to kill him. He's not intending to kill him. But he's got no problems doing something that may end up costing this person their life. I mean, again, you really see that in the car with the penguin. That's just me. All right. Uh, thanks for sending that in. But you're right, man. The ending of that scene with, and we saw it in the trailer, and it was such a good thing to put in the trailer. But at the end of that scene, when we see Batman walking through the flames, a vision right out of a, a criminal's nightmare, absolutely amazing. And I thought the car chase could have been even longer. At least, at least that's just me. All right. Next up, we got Kate Major, who writes, uh, it says in like a twenty dollar uh, super chat on top of the fifty one. Thank you, K Major, man. Appreciate that so much, dude. Thank you for supporting the content that you like to watch. I really appreciate that. Okay, uh, he writes. Uh, people who are saying he was meant, oh, he was mean to Alfred. Hello, McFly. Tell me how you treat people when you're when you're particularly angry at the world and humanity, uh, even the ones who are trying to help. Not saying it's right. I just get it. Yeah, I I I, I completely agree. Well, why is he being so mean to Alfred? Because that's him. And look, the reality is, like, even we as people, sometimes we can be the harshest to the ones we care about. And that's not a that's not a good trait, but it's true. And how do you think this guy who is, listen, Batman, we said this in our review of the movie, this Batman is damaged. He is damaged and a lot of times in batman stories they give lip service to the fact that batman is damaged but they never really portray it like at most he's got some mommy and daddy issues 
But this Batman is damaged and he's grim and he's angry at the world. This, this Batman, this Bruce Wayne is straight up angry at the world. And I don't think he's going to be particularly pleasant to be around anybody. And yeah, even being short with Alfred. So to me, that was incredibly accurate. Like to me, it felt very real and only made more real by the fact that he's in the hospital with him afterwards saying, you know what? I realize now with you being in trouble, I realize that I still have fear and that fear is losing somebody I care about again. It was a, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. I'm getting absolute chills thinking about it. So yeah, to me, it made it feel all the more authentic, to be honest with you. All right, next up, Casey Mack writes, also, I just wanted to point out, I know Thomas didn't want Elliot killed, but it's Falcone. He's going to do whatever he wants and what profits him. I mean, yeah. And again, but Alfred kind of explained that explicitly, right? Alfred said he didn't want him to, but in his weakness, he made a mistake. He should have known, but he didn't know, and he made a mistake in a moment of weakness. So I completely agree, Casey, because Alfred lays that out pretty, uh, pretty explicitly. So you're absolutely right about that. All right. K Major writes, my heart was racing a thousand beats a second as he was trying to piece things together, everything before the carpet reveal. Like, holy crap, Riddler was, Riddler was playing 3D chess while Batman was playing regular chess. No, it's true. And again, that's why I thought that worked so well. Because we were seeing him, the detective, figuring it out, but slowly, even coming to the wrong conclusions and having to get right back on track. And I mentioned, remember I mentioned that Two, two, those two points. Point number one, he's not an infallible detective yet. He's only in year two. But number two, he does eventually get there. But in the terms of this movie, he got there too late. And I really did love that whole way that he's desperately trying to piece this together because he knew something horrible was coming. All right. Next up, K Major once again writes in, uh, Wright was awesome as Gordon. He absolutely, you know what? We haven't been talking enough about Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright was phenomenal as Gordon. Absolutely phenomenal as Gordon. And listen, I love Gary Oldman's Gordon. I do. And Gary Oldman is overall the better actor. But I actually think I like Jeffrey Wright's Gordon more than even Gary Oldman's Gordon. Like, again, it was like the, the Gordon, the James Gordon jumping off the comic book page to me. Like, I absolutely loved it. Anyway, uh, the scene in the police station was hilarious and awesome. I agree. As the cops tried to unmask him, he was really surrounded by like 30 cops. Uh but he was ready to go. <laughs> Pardon me. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? A lot of people are going to talk about Paul Dano in this movie. Justifiably so. A lot of people are going to talk about Robert Pattinson in this movie. Justifiably so. Jeffrey Wright deserves his due in this. Because he was, not only was he incredible as the character, he and Pattinson created a great on-screen dynamic between Gordon and Batman. It was wonderful and they absolutely killed it. All right. Ryan Loner writes, I love most of it, but then it, it felt like they really wimped out at the ending. Suddenly, all of this great moral ambiguity is destroyed, and the Riddler just wants to kill a bunch of random people. Okay, I, I agree that the second half of the third act is probably the weaker point of the film. I agree. But there was nothing random about that. Remember, Riddler... His angst went beyond just those he believed were liars and corrupt. He wanted to punish Gotham itself. 
and, and they allude to throughout the movie that it's not just the leaders of Gotham, the whole city. Remember, he says that this cesspool we call a city, like the whole city, as far as Riddler was concerned, is also to blame. And he deserved this. He believed the city itself deserved what was coming. Not just the mayor and the DA and the chief and, and Bruce Wayne and whoever else he was and the new mayor and all the other specifics he was targeting. He felt the city itself was culpable for what he went through in his entire life. That the whole city was based on a lie and the whole city needed to be punished. So while I agree that the second half of the third act felt like it could have been handled a little bit better. I had no problem with the motivations of Riddler in that because I personally felt, and this is just me, but I personally felt they were setting that up through the entire rest of the film. At least that's how I interpreted it, Ryan. All right, next up. Isaac Zahau writes, I absolutely love the third act. It completed Batman's arc in such a satisfying way for me. Again, I think it accomplished that. I think it accomplished bringing Batman's full character arc to who he was at the beginning, to who he was at the end beautifully. I just think the mechanics of what they did, again, my big issue with the third act is your ultimate final big action set piece confrontation is Batman against a bunch of faceless, unknown nobodies that we've never seen in the movie up until that point. That's awkward. Again, it still did accomplish what they wanted it to accomplish, and that's why I don't hate the ending or anything like that, but I still feel like they could have done that part a little bit differently. Anyway, Kara Black writes, To be honest, I couldn't help but laugh, in a good way, at Jeffrey Wright's delivery of Open Your Eyes during the scene where Gordon and Penguin were arguing with each other. Oh, that scene was so great. Ah, what are you showing me this for? Ah, open your eyes. Open your th that scene was awesome. I, I I'm glad you brought it up, Kara, because we haven't mentioned that the entire thing. Um, like I, I, we haven't mentioned that part of it this entire run, and you're right. That part was fantastic. I love the and again, it's the way Colin Farrell plays Penguin, right? He plays Penguin so beautifully and hilariously, and I absolutely dug it. And yes, that part was great. Okay. Uh, let's see where are we at. Uh, Aiden Foley writes, sends in like a $20 super chat. Thank you. Aiden writes, love the show as always. Thank you, Aiden. Uh, this movie has a really chilling atmosphere and vibe to it. The thing that freaked me out the most was seeing Riddler's face for the first time, just an average looking guy that hides so much evil. And therein lies part of the brilliance of casting Paul Dano to play this role. The fact that, he has, once you take the mask off, he's not a monster. He doesn't have big scars through years of gang violence. He doesn't have any of that. He's this guy who could have been anybody in the room. This very nondescript, unremarkable, average-looking guy that could have been anybody. There was nothing remarkable about him. There's nothing that stood out about him. And when he turns on that seat and you see his face for the first time, to me, that made it all the more terrifying because it wasn't the face that you could have picked out a mile away. Ah, oh, if we saw him coming, we'd have known there here comes the bad guy. He could have blended in in any room and you never would have given him a second thought. And to me, that was 
part of the brilliance of it, to be honest. I I, I thought that par- that part of the casting of Paul Dano, besides the fact that he's a brilliant, brilliant actor, uh, really played into it as pardon me, played into it as well. All right, next up, K Major writes. Uh, last one, John, Batsuit. Chef's kiss for me. Mwah. He was taking bullets like he was Superman. Sorry, but if a guy takes 15 bullets to the chest and keeps coming, I'm exited stage left. He was unstoppable. Um, well, until that shotgun showed up, he definitely felt that one. But in the end, he started to regain his humanity, and I felt that in the end powerful. And see, here's the, uh, again, yes, I absolutely, the tactical nature of the Batman outfit was great and the fact that yeah even if that was bulletproof you take a shotgun to the chest at close range it's going to knock you on your ass i love the feel of all that but what i also liked about this movie is bruce's journey to back to rediscovering some of his humanity didn't just come in one single moment it came in stages you know one of the big stages maybe the stage that really kicked it off was the scene in the hospital with alfred we've talked about that a couple of times where he's sitting there with alfred and he's real, he comes to the self-realization, I haven't purged myself of all my fear. I still have one crippling fear, the fear of losing somebody I care about. And that was a revelation not just for the audience. That was a revelation for Bruce. That was a revelation for Batman. That was him discovering a part of his humanity that he had totally forgotten about. And in that, we saw in that moment he rediscovered a little piece of it. Then once he discovered that piece and we progress now through the rest of the movie, he starts to understand and rediscover parts of that again. Ultimately culminating in him carrying that woman to the stretcher that the helicopter is going to take away and she reaches out and touches him and then we hear the monologue as he says in his little soliloquy, I need to be more. I need to give people hope. It's in that that we find him coming to that final realization that he's rediscovered that spark, that part of his humanity that we first started to recognize in the hospital room with Alfred. And I thought that was beautifully unfolded, beautifully unfolded. All right, next up, Uh, Aiden Foley writes, "Uh, I'm not convinced that that's Joker. Oh, that's Joker. Make no mistake, that's Joker. I feel Reeves wants us to think that's him because of how obvious it would be. It could be Joker, but I'm not convinced. I I am 100% that is Joker. I believe he has even confirmed that in interviews since the movie came out. I could be wrong about that, but 100% that's Joker. I mean, who knows? We'll find out. We'll find out in a couple of years. But until we hear differently from Matt Reeves, I am 100% convinced, Aiden, that that is Joker. But who knows? We'll find out. Maybe you're right about that, dude. All right. Next up, we got Matt Reeves. Speaking of Matt Reeves, writes in the Batman is going to be grounded and realistic. Also, Matt Reeves, let's get him sci-fi contact lenses and have Batman survive an explosion to his face and nasty parachute malfunction. Well, no, here's the thing. Number one, uh, the the contact lenses that really isn't so crazy. I mean, Elon Musk just announced that they literally have a computer chip that will inter- interface with the human brain ready to test. They've already tested it in monkeys. In a reality where we have computer chips that interface with the human brain now, or at least we're on the cusp of it, cusp of it is it really so crazy to think, to think that even if it's just one toe in reality, that we could have contact lenses that have a built-in image sensor? Is it really that crazy? I would propose it's really not. I mean, not like Iron Man has magic nanotech that can do anything magically. Like, it's not like that. 
like that, to me it was quite thing and the fact that he has basically bulletproof and penetrable body armor helped him survive the hit and but listen it's still a movie in any action film i don't care if it's tango and cash i don't care if it's speed i don't care if it's like john whatever in any action movie even if they're set in the real world there are going to be moments where we're asked a little bit to suspend some disbelief for sure but as far as getting us to suspend disbelief in a movie i don't think those moments were all that big of a stretch and I mean, even especially since like the contact lens cameras, that was very low quality, right? Which is what it would be. So yeah, I, again, Matt, I got to say, as far as, you know, uh, by the way, that was the Iberian troll who sent that in. Um, I, I would say that as far as suspension of disbelief goes, image sensors in a contact lens and surviving a hit with body armor, that's not that big of a stretch. A bit, yes, but in movie terms, was it really all that much of a stretch? Uh, I actually don't think it was. Uh, personally, that's just me. I don't think it was that big of a stretch. Anyway, all right. It's now the top of our, we've now completed four hours, guys. So we're going to take this last question and then we're going to take another five minute break because uh, we are at the top of hour four. We're about to go into hour five. Um, let's see here. Tim Platt, uh, Platt writes, uh, sent a 999 super chat and he writes, I think this movie did an excellent job of showing that he's still learning. He makes mistakes and I believe the events that occurred teach him why Bruce Wayne is needed as much as Batman. By the way, just a quick little thing. Somebody in the live chat, where did it go? Uh, somebody in the live chat was just asking, oh yeah, uh, Mick, uh, Milkius Simon writes in the live chat, what about audio from the lenses? The audio didn't come from the lenses. The audio, remember, he handed Catwoman before he sent her in, after he put the lenses in her and they're having that conversation, the last thing he gives her is the earpiece. He hands that to her, right? And I think that's, I think, I think that's where the audio comes from. So that was my guess. on. Maybe I'm misinterpreting how that scene happened, but my assumption when I was watching the movie was that's where the audio interface is, was it was two pieces. He had the lenses, but there was a separate piece for audio. That was my interpretation of it at any rate. Okay, uh, let's see. Next up. Oh, let's get now to Tim's question. Uh, the movie did an excellent job of showing that he's still learning. He makes mistakes, I and, and I believe that the events that occurred teach him why Bruce Wayne is needed as much as Batman. I don't think he learns that Bruce Wayne is needed. I think he learns the facade of Bruce Wayne is needed. But his understanding that he has to become a symbol of hope for people isn't Bruce Wayne. It's the Batman himself. The Batman has to be both the image of terror for the criminals and the symbol of hope for all those others. I don't think Bruce Wayne is part of that. I think he starts to learn that Bruce Wayne becomes a necessary evil. The Bruce Wayne persona becomes a necessary extension so he can do what he needs to do. I don't think that that is the, uh, uh, that that's the uh, extension of what he's trying to do there, Tim. But that, that's just my interpretation of it. All right. Uh, let's do this one last one, then we'll take a break here. Comic Nizer writes, me and the Walmart crew love this. I, I remember you wrote in saying that you and your uh, work friends were all gone. I'm glad you guys had a good time, dude. All right. Uh, it is now the top of the hour. We have now completed four hours of our The Batman open spoiler discussion. We are now, of course, going to take another break so I can rest the voice up for a couple of minutes, stretch my legs, give you guys a chance to run and use the bathroom. So don't go anywhere, guys. We will be right back. 
All right, everybody, and we are back. Thank you again for your patience and indulgence as we head into hour number five of our The Batman Open Spoiler discussion. Now, I'm going to let you guys know that my voice is starting to go. Uh, we've been ta- I've been talking straight nonstop here now for over four hours, and uh, my voice is starting to go. So we are going to get through as many more of the remaining questions that we have, and then we are going to have a part two to this now if you sent in a comment question observation theory uh whatever about the batman and we haven't gotten to it yet don't worry we will get to it uh, in a part two uh either tomorrow or tuesday we got a mailbag we have to do tomorrow so either tomorrow or tuesday we will have a part two go up so if when i end today's broadcast if we still haven't gotten to your submission that you sent in don't worry it's not gone we have it saved and we will get to it Uh, it just might have to be tomorrow the day after because again uh my my voice is getting ready to go here (laughs) my voice is absolutely getting to getting ready to go and i still have to do the john campy show again tomorrow so anyway by the way guys since you're here take a second click on the subscribe button make sure you give a thumbs up leave a comment down below all that stuff helps our channel and helps us do the things that we love to do to bring you the shows you love to watch uh anyway uh and yeah do plan on watching the john campy show tomorrow it's gonna be fun all right let us keep going here shall we let's get things picked up with the was that the iberian troll no the iberian troll rights another thing If the Riddler is a nobody, how was he even able to discover all those shady events that occurred over the last 20 years in Gotham? Never underestimate somebody who is obsessed. That that is not just a lesson in movies, that's a lesson in life. Never underestimate somebody who is obsessed. A reporter wants to find some things out. Yeah, it'd be interesting for their career. They'll dedicate some time to it and then they'll move on. Somebody like Riddler, who this has been the defining thing of his entire life and does nothing but obsess on this for 20 years, never underestimate what somebody completely unhealthily obsessed can do when they make something the the center and the, the object of their obsession. Not to mention, you know, when you look at what he actually did for a living and all that kind of stuff, but never underestimate what somebody who is unhealthily obsessed with something can actually accomplish. All right, next up. Uh, Nathaniel Molnar writes, the only thing that bothered me uh, were the drops. Painfully obvious they couldn't use cocaine in a PG-13. It went against the grounded real world feel. I disagree. You can look look, look at um, Bedazzled or Bedeviled, Bedazzled. What was the one with Brendan Fraser? Um, I think it was, was it called bedazzled? I'm, I'm going to go with bedazzled. I think it was bedazzled, but anyway, Hey man, that was, I do not believe that was a rated R movie and that cocaine and what, no, they, they just wanted something that was unique to their world. It, I, I don't believe for a second it had to do with, um, oh yeah, yeah. If, if you show cocaine, then that, then it's going to get a rated R. I, I don't think that was the case at all. I think they wanted something fictitious that was real in their world. And yes, you guys in the live chat are confirming that it was indeed bedazzled. Thank you. Um, great movie, by the way. Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, Elizabeth Hurley, Brendan Fraser. And that If you haven't seen Bedazzled, go check out Bedazzled. It's a delightful, fun, little entertaining movie. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, I, I never for a moment got the sense, nor do I have the sense, that the reason they used drops, a fictitious drug, uh, was because of they can't use cocaine or else it'll be rated R. I, I don't think that's the case at all. I think they want something that's unique to them and it's a unique drug that's going to have unique properties. And I got a feeling they're going to use that later on, something that cocaine doesn't do. So at least that was my interpretation of it, Nathaniel. We'll, we'll find out as we go forward, though you may be right about that. Uh, all right, next up. Uh, we got Zeke Said So writes, I absolutely love this movie. I think it is my second favorite Batman film behind The Dark Knight. It's not a movie for everyone, but certainly was for me. Yeah, and really... The reality is we shouldn't have to say it's not for everyone because the reality is no movie is for everyone. Unless it's The Wizard of Oz and maybe The Princess Bride. But you know what? I'm finding out there are even some people like, yeah, watch The Princess Bride. It wasn't that great. I'm like, shut your dirty whore mouth. Yeah, anyway. but, But really, but really, no movie is for everyone, right? No movie's for everyone. And the Batman is certainly no exception to that. Uh, the Batman is a movie that, because of the nature of it, the one thing that makes it so amazingly, you know, um, intriguing and magnetic for us are going to be the same elements that make it not work for somebody else, right? So no movies for everyone, and this one certainly isn't. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm with you on that. It completely worked for me. It completely worked for me, 100%. Thanks for writing that in, Zach. All right, uh, next up. Uh, Jose Hernandez writes, um, Matt Reeves said in an interview that was the Joker in Arkham. He said in this world, Joker was born with the condition that he's always smiling. Yes. Yeah. So we mentioned that a little bit earlier that yes, this Matt Reeves did confirm, um, that it was, uh, it was absolutely the Joker. It's going to be this universe's iteration of the Joker. Again, I think it was a mistake that they had that scene in there. I don't think that scene worked at all. Um, and I thought it should have been saved for another movie. It felt out of place with this movie altogether. But, hey, they got a really good actor in it, and we'll see. But that absolutely was the Joker. You're right about that, Jose. All right, next up. Uh, Marie just sends in a super chat to be supportive. Thank you, Marie. Appreciate that. Uh, <coughs> Parker writes, I like the Batman, but didn't love it. I wish it was a little shorter and thought the plot was a bit confusing with the Falcone storyline. I mean, you're, you're, you are right about the fact that um, there, there, it was a complex storyline, right? About like connecting the dots and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely was. I mean, it wasn't a simple, a simple, well, this happened. Well, it was him. Great problem solved. There was a mystery to unfold and to get there. But I personally think that worked. I, I personally think that worked like a great deal. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was okay, but Hey, listen, Again, all film is subjective. It's a piece of art. And as art, it impacts us all differently depending on what we bring to the table. And therefore, no matter... Look, there are people who legitimately don't like The Godfather. There are people who don't like the original Star Wars. There are people who don't like Endgame. There are people who don't like The Dark Knight. I mean, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And they're not wrong for feeling that way. And if you watch this and you liked it but you didn't love it, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. Certain things worked for you, certain things didn't, and it's all good. Thanks for sending your thoughts on that, Parker. All right. James McDaniel writes, How long do you think will pass before part two? I know they need to progress his character, but Batman and Gotham that's flooded under martial law would be so rad. I, I agree. 
I completely agree. Um, it is, I mean, there's a lot of like no man's land in that. Well, like, that, that to me felt like a big setup for no man's land, to be honest with you, or quarantine. Um, but I have heard them say that it'll be like five years, which to me is absolute bullshit. I mean, I think that's a terrible idea to wait that long to do another one. Why? What's the, I mean, again, I'm not saying have part two out in six months. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying five years. I hope it's a lot sooner than that. I really hope it's a lot sooner. I, two to three years, I think would be fine. Two to three years would be fine. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up. Father Al writes, was that venom serum inject injection that he took? Again, I don't think so. I think it was pure adrenaline. But again, I'd be lying if I didn't think that at first. But the, when you look at what the actual effects of it were, it's pretty clear that was probably adrenaline. But we'll see if they're they're laying the groundwork for something else, Father Al. All right. Garrett Couch uh, sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Garrett. Appreciate that, man. And he writes, love the movie. The Riddler popping out in that first scene, straight horror. That score, incredible. And Batman is a brawler. And that score, incredible. Love the dark alley shot. You really felt Batman's presence. 4.5 four out of 5. Again, you're not going to hear any arguments from me, man. <clears throat> to me, this is the most Batman, Batman film we've ever seen. Uh, and again, I, I love the 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 Ben Affleck Zack Snyder iteration of Batman that may still be my favorite iteration of Batman even though I like this movie a lot more than Batman versus Superman and and I like that movie I do um but this is like it, to the DNA of the character this is the most Batman Batman film I've ever seen again it's not a perfect movie it's not a perfect comic book movie but it's a perfect Batman movie. I, I mean, at least that's how I see it. So I completely agree, Garrett. And again, you sent in like a $20 super chat. Thank you for supporting us on that level, man. Really appreciate that, dude. All right. Next up. <clears throat> Sorry. The voice is starting to struggle a bit, guys. The voice is starting to struggle a bit. All right. Uh, uh, Joe Star Gaming 661 writes, part one. Hey, John. Hello, Joe. I love the Batman and seeing it a third time on Monday at Sinopolis, um, for wine and dine. Very nice. Seeing it with my friend who is very excited for the movie. Can't wait to see his reaction. Uh, my friend is also part of the Make-A-Wish Foundation because he can't produce any antibodies and gets sick really easily. He really wants to see it in a non-crowded theater. So, going at 1045, still going to have wine. Oh, dude, first of all, that's awesome that your friend, I mean, first of all, it's, it's terrible that your friend has that condition, but that's great that you can find ways and times that you guys can still get out and see the movie in the theater. I hope you have a great time. I hope your friend has a great time. I know I freaking did. Again, take all the precautions that you need to take. I would even go so far as just mention to the, um, you might even want to mention to the manager that um, you might have a you might have specific needs to help make sure you you meet your friend's requirements and whatever. Maybe there, you can make sure you can get food to them in a safer way. I don't know. I'm just pulling this out of my ass. But do what we have to do to stay safe? That's the most important thing. But I'm super glad that you and your friend are going to have that experience together. That's awesome, man. Have a great time. All right. Next up, Noah Drassen writes, Hey, John, I saw the movie a couple of days ago and I absolutely loved it. It felt a little off in the end. I agree. And I wasn't too thrilled about being introduced to another Joker, but solid 8 out of 10 for me. I have no problems about the idea of introducing another Joker. I got no problems with that. It's the way that it they did it. And, and, and frankly, yeah, I think if I had my druthers, they would have waited to introduce... Because, again, they just did what they did in Batman Begins. Have Batman battle a villain, 
And then at the end, give a little Joker tease. I mean, they did that in Batman Begins. It didn't need to be done here. And again, it just felt out of place and out of, <coughs> out of place and out of pace with the rest of the movie. It just felt awkward and jarring the way that they did it. Um, so I don't know. They should have saved it till next time, I think. But again, love the film, though. All right. Next up, Comic Nizer writes, I really love the relationships in this movie. Absolutely, between Gordon and Batman, between Catwoman and Batman, between Alfred and Batman. I thought they all worked. I thought it was great. All right, Daryl Best Wadley writes, <clears throat> Is this the same Batman movie Ben Affleck was supposed to star in and direct? Also, I hated the Joker cameo at the end, and I knew it was coming. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't like the Joker cameo either. But uh, no, it's not. Ben Affleck had his own script, his own story, his own movie he was doing. It got replaced with this Matt Reeves Batman. Totally different story, totally different script, totally different everything. Ben Affleck's Batman was to take place in the DCEU. This Batman does not. That Batman had Deathstroke. This movie does not. So it's not that this movie was the one that Ben Affleck was going to do. It's that Ben Affleck was going to do a Batman movie. That Batman movie got completely swept away. I, it's still in my heart of hearts. I want to see that movie. But that Batman movie got completely swept away. And then they did an entirely different Batman movie in its stead. So that's that's the way. All right, next up. Daryl Best, else right? Is Falcone's Catwoman's dad in the comics? I I don't believe so. I could be... Mis there, there might be an iteration somewhere where he is, but I don't believe so. Um... Yeah, not really sure about that. Good question, though. Uh, Daryl Beswadley also writes, I wish I was connected to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. <clears throat> well, I mean, look, again, not every movie's for everybody. To me, that movie was an absolute triumph. It was nominated for Best Picture, won the dude an Academy Award. It's absolutely fantastic. But hey, it's not going to work for everybody. It didn't connect with you, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, Andy writes, those three hours flew by so fast. They did, I, I honestly, while I do think it could have been shorter, it's not because I felt like the movie felt like it was three hours. I felt it was longer than it needed to be, but it still kind of flew by pretty fast. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Shelby Waters writes, uh, dude in front of me was on his phone, but nine out of 10. Yeah, look, I have. you don't want to be a rat, but in a movie theater, there's no rat rules. If you are doing something to interfere with other people's enjoyment of a movie, Tell somebody at the movie theater so they can take care of it. Cause that's not, man, that would piss me off. Um, Shelby writes, love the Batmobile and Flair scene. Oh yeah, they were absolutely fantastic. Uh, Andy writes, Pattinson is now easily my second favorite Batman, just below Affleck. His eyes told everything. He came off like trauma personified. He did. And I love his dry humor. Again, he was damaged and he played it like he was damaged. This dude is broken. There's a reason he is the way he is. He is fundamentally broken. And I believe we don't start to see any kind of healing in him until he has that scene with Alfred in the, um, in the hospital room where he realizes and rediscovers that little part of his humanity again, realizing he still cares for Alfred so much and he still is afraid of losing the people that he cares about. All right. Next up, Al Renshaw writes, a conversation between Pattinson and Circus in the hospital was heartbreaking and, and beautiful at the same time. Great performances by both those guys in that scene. Circus for an Oscar? Nah. I Even though we've seen Oscar winners win like uh, Dame Judi Dench for her role in Shakespeare in Love, like she was in that movie for like two minutes and she won 
she won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, which is fine, but I don't think there's enough Alfred in this. And to be honest with you, while Circus was great as Alfred, I, I don't see it as an Oscar-nominated performance. It was really good, but there wasn't enough there for him to do to justify, to, to give him the challenge of a real wide range uh, that would justify an Academy Award nomination. So I, I I don't think so. As great as I think he is in this, and I, I love Andy Serkis. All right. Uh, next up, Al Renshaw writes, uh, looked at Lego sets and almost looked at Hot Toys for this movie, but stopped myself. My wallet would have been hurting badly if I did. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Um, the the Hot Toys are great, but they're so bloody expensive. They're so expensive. I mean, the the reason I have four is because I cannot afford to have 40. And the th that's the thing. Like, you buy one Hot Toy... And then you blink and you've bought four others. Like, seriously, I had no Hot Toys. Then I got my first one, which was a, a Jor-El. It was Russell Crowe's Jor-El from Man of Steel. And before I knew it, I had three others on top of it. And it's like, I can't afford to have this habit. <laughs> like, I, I cannot afford to have this habit. And they're beautiful. They're awesome. They're glorious. But man, it is an expensive habit to have, dude. It is an expensive habit to have. All right. Uh, let's see. We're at, we're at TJR who writes, one of two. I love the parallels of Batman and Riddler to show how close Batman is to becoming a villain. The scene through the binoculars uh, to stalk their uh, prey and the use of I am vengeance to express their intention. I don't see, I, I interpreted that differently, TJR. I didn't see that as an expression that Batman is that close to becoming the criminal of it. Like, he hates criminals so much that I don't think he's in danger of becoming one. What I think that was was an eye-opener for her, for him, that he was influencing, he was instilling a lot of terror and fear in a lot of criminals, yes. But he was also influencing and to a degree sometimes even inspiring some unbalanced people who see themselves as heroes when they're really psychotic villains. It wasn't that he saw that he was close to becoming a villain. It's, it's that he recognized that only doing things the way he was doing them, he was doing a lot of good, but he was also having a negative impact. That's why he says at the end, I realize I am having an influence, but it might not be the one I intended. Like he was influencing the villains in some ways. And that's, I think, the lesson that we get from him in that. All right, Al Renshaw writes, uh, was that Barry Keoghan as the Joker in Arkham? It absolutely was, yes. Um, Michael Brandy writes, did going to the club five times make Gotham feel small? Well, no, because it's a key central figure in one in the same movie. Now, if every single Batman movie they do, they go to the same club five separate times, yes. Also, if you're trying to make a, a comment about how I talk about Star Wars, Star Wars is supposed to be a galaxy with billions of planets and solar systems. Gotham is one city, and Falcon, and that club is the headquarters of the Penguin and Falcone, who are, other than Riddler, your main villains in the film. So you are going to have to revisit that set a number of times. So if you're trying to make a comparison there, Michael, you're doing a very bad job. All right, uh, next up, uh, Andy writes, one of two. One of your viewers theorized that Bruce was called Vengeance and not Batman yet. According to the trailers, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he or she was correct uh, as everyone called him Vengeance. No one addressed him as the Batman except the Riddler, who I think was the first to do so. No, it's incorrect. If you watch the movie, like he calls himself Vengeance once 
then Penguin like sort of sarcastically calls him, I missed a vengeance here, whatever. And then Catwoman does in a playful sort of way. But the city knew him as the Batman. As a matter of fact, when you get to the end of the movie, if you, if you want the definitive answer to this, when you get to the end of the movie, after Batman saves the people in the arena, and you see on the television the newscast, the, the little thing is, the Batman saves hundreds of... It didn't say, the dark vigilante vengeance saved people. It said right on the news screen, it told us what this, how everybody sees him and who they know him as. It's Batman. So that made it clear, that answers the question 100%, that the city and everybody there recognized him as and knew him as Batman. So that was, that was clearly a part of it because it was right in the news feed. All right, next up, Cody Hunt writes, I think it's interesting that the big revelation of the movie is that Falcone is the one who runs Gotham, as opposed to begins where it was a given. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, in that sense, it also felt more real right? Because in the reality, it does not feel like any criminal actually runs a city. It's that there are criminals who can stay one step ahead, right? And that's how this one portrayed it. It portrayed it as more of a law and order thing. That, look, everybody knows Falcone's dirty, but we can't pin anything on him. Well, it turns out it's much more than that. He actually runs the city. And in that sense, it feels a little bit more gritty and grounded that that was the perception. So you're right, there's a total... um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a total dichotomy between that and kind of a praxis between that and the, how they portrayed it in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight and stuff like that. But again, I to me, that made it feel a little bit more gritty and real. All right. <clears throat> Last one, guys, because my voice is just about uh, done here. Uh, Lima Tango writes, uh, one of four. After hearing how dark and violent this movie was, my concern going in was this Batman would feel like a glorified thug who just wanted an excuse to hurt people and not like a hero. Um, I love that Matt Reeves was aware of that distinction and made it a theme. For a lot of the runtime, Bats leaned towards the former. At the end of the, <coughs> at the end of the movie, uh, when the goon says, I'm vengeance, Bats is confronted with the question of what kind of man he wants to be and what kind of symbol does Gotham need. I'm glad he chooses cor- uh, to course correct and uh, do better going forward. With that in mind, I predict that in the, that in the sequel, we'll see a Batman who has toned down the fury and vengeance, though I know that might disappoint you, John. I disagree, Lima. I think you're, I think you're seeing that and and you might be right, but I'm going to say for now, I disagree because, um, (laughs) you're looking at it as it has to be an either or. I think the revelation for Batman at the end of the film was it's a both and. Notice he doesn't say at the end in his monologue, he doesn't say, I have to stop doing what I've been doing and do something completely different. What does he say? He says, I have to be more. And I think that's more than just semantics. I think that's a very important distinction. He didn't say, I now realize everything that I've been doing has been totally wrong and I got to stop doing what I was doing. No, he says, I need to be more. Still be what I have been. The vision and nightmare of terror in the heart of the criminal element in Gotham. I need to be that. That is a core essential element to who and what Batman is. He instills fear and horror 
and those who would defile Gotham. But he can't just be that. He has to be more. I'm going to be this and I'm going to be this. Because right all throughout the movie, only Gordon sees him as a hero. Nobody else knows what to make of him. Nobody else knows what to make of him. It's, it's about, like, even from the beginning when he saves that guy from the thugs, that guy is, like, terrified of Batman. The thing he says, he doesn't see Batman as a savior, as a hero. He goes, please don't hurt me, after he just saved him from him, right? His perception of the people in Gotham is that he is he's nothing but a nightmare. He is a nightmare, but he is nothing but a nightmare. What he realizes at the end is he has to be more than that. He has to be the nightmare for some, but he also has to be more. He has to be a symbol of hope for a lot of other people as well. So uh, there is that as well. Now, look, I want to point out something. Somebody in the live chat who may not have been here for any of our other uh, 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 spoiler discussions, somebody in the live chat named Poker Craig just said, my question got ignored. No, Poker Craig, your, your question didn't get ignored. It's just that we have been going for four and a half hours now, and I, I'm I'm... I've gone as far as I can go. I've done as many as I can do. We, your question is still in here, and it is going to get answered. We're just going to have to do a part two of this because I am, quite frankly, physically not capable of keep going without my voice completely going. This isn't like game streamers because game streamers can go six, eight hours, but the thing is they go like minutes at a time without speaking. Uh, for this, other than those little breaks that we took, I've been speaking nonstop for four and a half hours, and I, I'm... I'll just be open with you. I'm lit. I'm in pain. I, it's, it's hurting me to talk right now. Um, and I've gone as far as I can go, but trust me, your question is still there. We are definitely going to do a part two of this where we will get through all the questions that are still remaining uh, at this point, but I am just simply, um, not capable of going further. So I, I, I could try, but we are going to do a follow-up to this and your question will get answered. Uh, just keep your eyes open for it. It's going to come either tomorrow or on Tuesday. So keep your guys' eyes open for that. All right, guys. <laughs> Where do we leave off, by the way? That was, you know what? Let me do just a couple more because I, I want to make sure I don't lose my spot. And there were a couple of questions in between Lima's. So let me address these ones that were in between Lima's first before we go, okay? Um, let me just take another sip of something here. Okay. Rampage Predacon writes, Hey, John. Is Matt Reeves doing away with the whole Batman and Bruce Wayne secret identity thing in future movies? Riddler could out Batman in Arkham. You misunderstood what was going on in the movie Rampage. Riddler didn't actually know. Um, Riddler did not know that he was Batman. They made us think he knew for a minute, but then it got revealed that he did not know. So, no, they, they, he still has a secret identity. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Next up, Cody Hunt uh, writes, uh, one of two. Pattinson said in an interview that Bruce doesn't exist at the beginning of the film. He's only Batman. In order to rid himself of the pain of his parents' death, he only believes himself to be Batman. His lesson in the film is that um, the film is that having that pain is useful. It makes him human. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's and that really excites me because the whole. Remember, I've said for a long time the true Batman, Bruce Wayne fundamentally died in the uh, in the alley with his parents not physically but the purse the persona of bruce wayne died when his parents died and the batman was born and the real person is batman that's who he really is that's it that's his real personality and that's who he is and bruce wayne 
is this made-up fictional persona that he puts on as a public face, right? And so hearing Pattinson say that, that him and Matt Reeves actually understood that and actually get that part of him, to me is very exciting. Like, it's really, really very exciting. And so it makes me look forward to... (laughs) Pardon me. It makes me really look forward to seeing how they're going to navigate this more as they move forward. So, yeah, there you go. Okay, guys, there are still more questions to come, like from Andy and Raymond and Cody Hunt and and others. And, guys, do not worry. Over the next couple of days, we will do part two of this uh, open spoiler discussion. Uh, we've gone four hours and 35 minutes. Time for us to wrap this up. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for now for our Batman open spoiler discussion, at least for part one. Again, there will be a part two. Uh, Make sure you guys come back and join us for the John Campus Show tomorrow. Obviously, we're going to talk about the box office results for the Batman. Super impressive. We're going to have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about that, as well as other things. Of course, I'm going to be joined by Robert Meyer Burnett and Chris Carr and Ray Ora. Make sure you guys come and join us for that as well. Guys, for those of you who have been here since 1 o'clock, four and a half hours ago, and have been on this long journey with us, Kudos to you and your endurance and your testicular fortitude for hanging in there that long with me. I appreciate you being along for the ride. Okay, guys, that'll do it for us for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, I'm vegan.